studio in the great state of New Hampshire. Welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump. Yet, stop? No, not at all. Nope. Nope. I mean, sort of. Sometimes I get bored of the uh, tech issues and stuff like that, or like you know, when things come up out of the blue. But I love recording the show, and the topics always seem to be pretty fresh. Yep. Yeah. yeah they are. It's amazing. And then, uh, you, you hit the record button, right? I sure did. Okay. Stosh, welcome. Welcome. Well, yeah, I had to record. Don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> okay. I mean, I actually another. Yeah, I did. We have a fellow podcaster here, so you better not screw this one up, Stosh. <laughs> I'll try not to, Mike. I'm sorry. All right. All right. So I um, wanted to start the show off. Stomp, I sent you a video, and I wanted to talk about this video because um, I thought that this would be an interesting opener for us. Um, the video I'm talking about, and I'll include it in the show notes, and I'll post it on like our Instagram and Facebook, is... Um, it's a video of a crowd on a beach. So this this is out of Hawaii. So I've been thinking about Hawaii a lot because my daughter's out there. But this just happened to be something that piqued my interest. So there's a surfing contest out there called the Eddie Surf Contest. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, it's in Waimea Bay, which is like, I think if you're of a certain age, you'll be familiar with Waimea Bay. Basically, like all the big surf contests back in like the 80s and 90s on like Wild World of Sports. You remember Wild World of Sports, right, Stomp? Oh, hell yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, matter of fact, I miss it because the Wild World of Sports, they would give a huge variety of of events. And one of them was this big wave surf contest that goes on in Waimea Bay. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is, uh, surfing's a little bit, di- I think you're a surfer, right, Stomp? Didn't you, didn't you say you used to surf? Oh, yeah, yeah. Big waves back yeah. in uh, back in the Northeast here. Whenever the hurricanes would come through, me and my dad, good times. Yeah, yeah. So this is um, this surf contest is um, usually these waves are like twenty to forty foot waves, and they're huge. Yeah. And typically, like they can't do this contest every year. They basically have a window where they say, like, okay, if if the conditions are right, we're going to run this big surf contest. And mm-hmm. um, it's called the Eddie Akau, Akai, I think. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Oh, heck, I'm more Hawaiian by Mike. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but basically, this guy is a an early lifeguard sort of pioneer. He's like saved over 500 people. He's like a surf legend. So they have this surf contest they call it the Eddie. And... Um, you know, they basically wait around for these big waves to happen. So the the reason why I'm bringing this up is that there's a video going around of a crowd on the beach and there's a lifeguard basically announcing, saying like, look, you know, you're at risk by standing here on the beach. There's big waves that are going to come in. You've been warned. Make sure you hold on to your kids. You shouldn't be down here. And um, it goes on to show a series of basically swells that come in mm. and take this whole crowd out. Yeah. And it got me to thinking about like the parallels around, you know, what we see in hiking sometimes and, and also crowd dynamics. Like I think a lot of people don't have situational awareness or they in events where things are coming at them really fast. Mm-hmm. 
they don't react, like especially if the crowd is verifying sort of the resistance to authority, yeah. they, they just don't react and they all got in trouble. And, you know, people had to get rescued. Luckily, there was a bunch of lifeguards there. But I thought it was an interesting dynamic how even if authority is telling you something, if you're in a crowd and the crowd validates going in the opposite direction, you'll stick with the crowd. Yeah, okay. So what do you think, Storm? <laughs> Can you give us an example, like in particular, a direct example well, out of hiking? Well, what I'm thinking is sort of going back to sort of Thai scenario where, um, you know, if one person sort of feels like either they're not comfortable or they're seeing that the other people are self-assured, mm-hmm. they're going to go forward even if they're, even if like they're having their doubts. And I think okay. that's where you can get into risk. And I think a lot of times we've seen these scenarios where, you know, you get eight or 10 college kids that are hiking on a trail. Somebody takes a wrong turn. They all keep going forward, even though I'm sure a lot of them sort of know like, hey, something's wrong, but they keep going forward because they've got that group dynamic. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times like this, this big wave surf situation where people are just standing there and the, it was clear that the waves were going to come at them and it was going to get worse. But because nobody moved, they all just let it happen. Right. So what's the solution? like peer pressure right it's peer pressure exactly i think that it's like listening to your voice inside i'm sure that there were people in that group that were like you know what i gotta get the hell out of here but they froze because everybody else didn't move yeah absolutely makes sense yeah outside of these events too i mean it happens in daily life just outside of recreational activities yeah i think too it's like a pacing thing like when you're, especially when you're hiking, like everything moves super slow and um, avalanches, you've seen those videos before where people will be like, oh, look at that avalanche. And then, you know, within three minutes, they'll be covered by snow. Sort of the Just same sit, thing yeah. happened with this wave situation. So I think understanding how quickly things can come at you is a big deal. So, you know, social media has a big play in that too. Um, when people want to capture that perfect moment. Like you said with the avalanches, I see that all the time. Like on my my Instagram, it's just avalanches happen, and people are just filming and filming and filming. That's coming down at two hundred miles an hour, and let alone two minutes, it's going to be at you. <laughs> so, hmm. yeah, exactly. So it's like nature usually moves really slow, but when you're faced with things like big waves and avalanches approaching, even when you're being chased by animals, I don't think humans really have a good idea around. Um, how quickly they need to react on those things. So mm-hmm. even if you see a bear chasing you stomp from like a half a mile away, it can be there very quickly. So look out. <laughs> right. <laughs> Interesting. Yes. So think about that. When you're in a crowd, don't rely on what everybody else is doing. Rely on your own instincts. Mm. I'll pat myself on the shoulder. I think I'm pretty good with that in general. Okay. Yeah. Same. Because I'm a paranoid, cynical skeptic. That's why. Words to live by. Yeah. I feel like you're a disagreeable personality. Um, yeah. I Well, I don't take things at the, the you know, at the, at the face of the word and whatever else. I, I look into everything. You know, I just don't take any claim without doing my due diligence and researching and everything else. So, yeah. I've developed that over the years. I don't know. You're a real pain in the next thing. <laughs> Curmudgeon. Uh, but anyway, the other thing I was thinking about is with these with these surf contests, like it always harkens me back to like one of my favorite movies, which is North Shore. Do you know you know that movie? I've never seen that. You've never seen that movie? It's like basically Karate Kid, 
but for surfing. Yeah, wasn't um, who was in that? Oh, male actor. I forget his name. I don't know. I forget his name too. But oh, basically, like he was like Keanu a sur- Reeves and somebody else. No, that's Point Break. Oh, okay. Point Break. Yeah, close. Yeah, no, North Shore is like these movies, and I'm going to give a list because I put together a list, but like there's movies from the 80s and 90s where basically they take Karate Kid's plot and they apply it to surfing, rollerblading, BMX, and skateboarding. (laughs) Right. And they make the best movies ever. So North Shore was about this kid that like, he was like a... A surfer in a wave pool in like the Midwest or Arizona or something like that, yeah. and then he moved out to Hawaii to ride the big surf waves. Met a girl. The girl's connected to like the big leader of the surf gang, and of course the kid like drops in on a wave in front of like the leader, <laughs> and like gets into a fight. So then he spends the whole time like falling in love with the girl, but also pissing off the local surf gang, and and then he you know obviously wins the competition because some. Mm. Mr. Miyagi surf guru teaches him how to be a big wave surfer and he gets the girl and he makes friends with the, you know, gotcha. with the, the, the gang. Yeah. So, so you got to see that stuff. Yeah, so North Shore. Yeah. There's another version of this called Earborn, which is a rollerblading movie with Seth Green. Mm-hmm. Same, same plot. And then one. there's a, yeah. And there's a BMX one called Rat. Do you know these with Stosh, what I'm talking about? Rad was one of my, actually, it is my favorite movie of all time. I can't, I was, I was a previous <laughs> BMXer. Awesome. Well, I tried to be, yeah. but uh, Rad was just one of those movies that as a small town, you're just like, oh man, this is absolutely fantastic. I want this to happen in my town. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then thrashing is the skateboard version. So you've got surfing, you've got North Shore, Airborne is the rollerblade one, Rad for BMX, and then thrashing for skateboarding. So I'll include a link to these all in the show notes if people want to binge. But like, that's a cool Friday night. It's just binge all those movies. Mm-hmm. People, people beyond 1996 won't understand. They'll just be like, this is boring stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think uh, our audience skews old. So they, Older. they'll hopefully appreciate it. Hmm. How do we change that, by the way? We need <laughs> young blood. Young blood in this crowd. Memes. I don't Memes. know. Trust me. Yes, memes. Yeah, that, that should do the trick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I am working on my Hallmark movie script, so maybe that'll uh, attract some stuff. Oh, the one that you popped on us last week? The stream of conscious? Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about it when I was hiking. I was thinking about the script, and um, I think my working title is Kittens for Waterville. So when we last <laughs> left my storyline, I had the crusty snowmaker guy and the girl that lost her cat and they would fall in love. But I figured out a backstory for the snowmaker guy. Okay. So the movie's going to start with this, this snowmaker guy's going to actually be in a suit and he's going to be like the general manager of the ski resort. (laughs) And then he's going to have this like little assistant manager reporting to him and they're going to be in a room talking and, you know, fast forward, like, you know, his kids and his wife are going to come in and he's like super happy. And then it's going to be like five years later. And then he's going to be living in a little like, um, I don't, I feel like they, all these ski resorts have this, but it's going to be like a shed where the snowmaker guy lives. You know, and he's got his like little hot plate and his bed right. and that's all he has in there, but it's heated. You know what I mean? That's a big assumption. 
<laughs> like all these yeah, guys are living in little sheds on the side of the mountain. I don't know. I don't know. But this guy's going to be living in there. And then his assistant who who worked for him at the old mountain is now going to be the general manager. And he's going to come in and like talk to him or whatever. Hmm. And then eventually we're going to find out that like the whole thing about this guy is that he was married, had a kid. The kid, one, one of the kids got injured and paralyzed in a ski accident. And then he blamed himself for it. So he like broke up with his wife quit his job as the general manager and just is making snow working under this old guy and then eventually when they open up the woodpecker restaurant what's going to end up happening is that um he's going to reconnect with his family his old family you know the wife's going to be moving on with the new husband or whatever but they're going to get along and the kid's going to be like an adapted skier or something so the new girlfriend's going to make him see that he should be like joining his family and that he shouldn't feel guilty for his kid getting injured. I think you might be onto something. I mean, Hallmark well, might be <clears throat> open to this idea. It's pretty, yeah. pretty broad in scope. It's very, yeah. very daring. It is. You yeah. Know? I was thinking about it as I was hiking. That's all. That's what I do when I'm hiking. I'm thinking about my Hallmark movie script. <laughs> do you write that? Do you write this down so you can like keep it in sequence and stuff, or does it just come off the top of your head? Well, last week it came off the top of my head. Then I was thinking about it as I was hiking up to um, Mount Tecumseh. But now I, I just have it here. I got it recorded so I can go back and listen to it if I want to write the script. I go at it, man. Hit it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, we got a couple of emails. People were like, I'm here for the Hallmark movie. So we'll see. <laughs> twisted. These listeners are yeah. twisted. <laughs> yeah, stop. A lot of feedback about uh, the choking situation oh, and the geez. edits grew up. Yeah. So you need to answer for your crime. Oh, man. That that was just one of those weeks. Like some weeks we end up uh, recording and editing the night before we release a show. So what that means for me is a late night up till midnight. I think when I let that one slip, it was about 1230 and I was my my eyes were closing at the uh, the PC here at the desktop, and uh, it, it just totally slipped right by me. Yeah, that was a big one. I I mean I agree with sort of letting basic stuff go with editing, but that was a doozy. But hey, I don't know if, if there's other doozies. I'll consider this. I think it was like sixty eight percent on the Instagram poll. People wanted the editing left alone. <laughs> oh. We'll do it live. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. But that was a so good one, man. man. Oh, jeez. My kids got a kick out of it, so. <laughs> Stosh, do you, you do all your own editing on your, so Stosh has a podcast for, for anybody that's uh, wondering who this guy is. We'll introduce him in a little while, but um, do you do your own editing? Have you got any, any good stories about screw-ups? Oh, yeah. So the last episode I had was with uh, an older gentleman, and uh, his pauses were very, very long. Like, he would say one thing and then just think about it for like eight to 10 seconds. And like, it was, it was some yeah. cr crazy editing because like it, it all tied together in a sentence, but the sentence would be three words, long pause, <laughs> three words, long pause. And I'm just like, Oh, and like, like, you know, I, I, I showed you Mike the, this recent weekend, I had very little editing time and it was like, I was just like stump. I was just like, oh my God, I got to finish this, but I'm dead. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, there's, there's got to be some editing in, in that, especially for those long pauses. Cause then you you think something's going on with your headphones when you're listening. Right. And you're just like, what, what's happening? And then all of a sudden you pop back in. Yeah. yeah. Well, 
I do the script stuff. I don't do the editing, but, but Stump, we've definitely, we've gotten some people that are like, they'll reach out to us and, um, you know, they'll say like, oh, you left a swear word in or, you know, said something that they didn't like for whatever reason. I think for the most part, we try to keep things PG, but, um, you know, sometimes guests are a little saltier than others or sometimes things just slip. Um, but our goal is, I think, to mostly be pretty vanilla and PG about the, the language piece of it here. But, you know, there is definitely some episodes where it's a little more salty. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you try to get all the swear words out, Stomp, or do you not care? No, I don't I don't touch them. I let them go. No. For the Heck most yeah. part. Let them go. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if anybody's invested in the show, they, they probably know what we're up to by now. So, um, yep. but they, uh, I actually did recently. Uh, I didn't even tell you this, Mike, but I think I switched the the uh, rating to explicit just to cover. It now says explicit, so no more complaints. Let it rip. Yeah, let it let rip. Let it rip. Okay. Not going to um, say anything. Not going to say anything. All right. Well, you guys may be swearing at each other in a minute. So, Stosh, one of the, thing, oh, one of the things, I, one of the reasons I was excited about having you on is that we've had a bunch of discussions around uh, electric vehicles and you know their use case, particularly in the you know cold weather conditions. And Stomp has been a little bit skeptical about them. But you're an EV guy, electric vehicle guy. So I wanted you and Stomp to debate <laughs> the the benefits or negative aspects of uh, you, you got a Tesla, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. So, what do you think? Is it um, is it overblown? Stomp's concerned about the cold weather conditions and, and the um, you know, the driving of Teslas and the handling in the cold weather, or is there something to it? Well, um, I gotta admit, they the battery aspect of the the Tesla does suck in the winter. Um, of course, with any any car, you use more product, you you use more energy in the winter, but the Teslas are pretty shitty in the winter. I got to admit, sorry for the swear word, anybody. And now I cover um, Explicit. But um, like my, my Tesla, I got, I got the low end Tesla when I could. So I got the cheapest one and then I got like some good rebates. So um, my range, it says 220 miles. Um, that's a bunch of BS probably in the winter at the perfect conditions, perfect driving 180 miles uh, or that's the summer. Sorry. The summer it's 180 miles. In the winter, you can expect at least a 40% loss. So maximum, maybe 120 miles. All right, so here's something I read today. What is an extender? What's this extender technology that uh, they're starting to develop to address this issue? Are you aware of this? I am not aware of that, please. Okay, I don't. Well, I didn't. I I just sort of skimmed the headline, and I guess certain companies are working on some you know, technologies to get more out of the, uh, the battery and get more mileage and stuff like that. So I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I was just sort of skimming things earlier. Um, no, well, I, haven't, I haven't heard of that, but you know, yeah. the one thing that sucks is, you know, of course the, the infrastructure of the charging, you know, with Tesla's, it's fantastic. I drove up to Vermont, New Hampshire and, uh, you know, I think it was like two years ago and I had no problem going to all the places I wanted to go because, you know, there's fast chargers and good mileage mileage in the, in the summer and stuff like that. Yeah. But down here in the Catskills where I have to go to maybe the farthest place away is a pretty good distance with my car with a, with a long range, with an expensive one. Oh, hell yeah. You can easily do that. Actually, 
the funny thing is, is I'm getting my car repaired right now because of some crap that happened over the weekend. So I have a long range one and I feel like I'm indestructible, but with mine, it's a little, it's a little tight on the mileage. A Tesla chargers exclusive to Tesla's or are they compatible? Yes. As of right now. Yes. Okay, so that's another issue. I mean, if, if all these different cars start branching out with their own charging technologies, that's not going to get us anywhere. Exactly. So yeah. that's that's the one big problem that I, I've had uh, with the EVs is that Tesla back then wanted to make their own, well, not their own charging network, wanted to make an, uh, an all-exclusive network for every brand of EVs. But um, GM and Chevrolet and stuff like that had other ideas and they didn't want to go with it. So Tesla just did their own thing. But hmm. with the charging infrastructure of Tesla, I can't, I, I got to say, I can't choose another vehicle for an EV type be, just because of how many charging stations there are. Wow. It is interesting. Interesting. So eventually like there'll be like some sort of a, like a beta versus VHS kind of platform war <laughs> when it comes to the the charging protocols, I would imagine, because they can't all have disparated charging inputs for every type of vehicle, I would imagine. That's Eventually, crazy. they're all going to have to settle on a format. Or you'd have I to really buy like so. an, an adapter to plug into your Tesla yeah. to like make it work. Like, Yep. Well, we do We do have that, actually, to hmm. for the other supercharger or for the fast chargers. You have to get an adapter from either Tesla or a third-party to adapt to those specific chargers. When you see Teslas, those superchargers, those fast ones like the one in Lincoln, and I think in Conway they have one. Yeah, um, they do, yeah. It's, a, it's near Burgeon, actually. There are four of them by the new uh, Riverwalk. Oh, nice, good. Yeah. Um, they are specifically for Teslas, and then there's other ones called Electrify America and stuff like that that are fast chargers for non-Teslas, and then the Tesla has an adapter to go to work for it. I don't know why Teslas can adapt to the other ones but we can't they can't adapt to the tesla ones it's really weird yeah interesting and electric do your tesla is it all wheel drive mine is rear wheel drive real okay so how is it in the snow then must be a little bit of an adventure then oh i know they're pretty heavy though yes so i have i have snow tires too so i'm i've been living up here for my whole life so i know that snow tires are a great investment and i have been through you know, three feet of snow going to work and it's been phenomenal. The traction control is absolutely incredible on that thing. Interesting. Yeah, I've gone to, I'll, I'll have to show you trailheads that I've, I've been to where I've uh, gone up and it hasn't been plowed, but I've dug out my own uh, my own parking spot because I had to just shovel out a parking spot to get in there. Interesting. Well, maybe Stomp will buy a Tesla his next vehicle. We'll see. <laughs> Only if it's mandated. <laughs> oh, by the way, okay. see that's yeah. that's what really frustrates me about this whole topic. You know, there there certain states are mandating this, and look how early we are in the development. Uh, you know, the infrastructure, um, the battery life. I mean, it's just it's insane. So that's there's no gray. It's all black and white, and that pisses me off to no end. Um, of course, there's room for combustible engines. I mean, it's just insane what's happening out there. So, um, oh, I agree 100% with that because I, I didn't buy a Tesla because I was going to say planet earth. I bought it cause it was a freaking awesome car and it's fun. It's yeah. very oh, fun. I hear you. Um, yeah, that's super cool. But the whole thing of mandating is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. I just think it's, it's pathetic with the car, especially when they don't have, like you said, the infrastructure that you need. I, you know, 
with my my car and my range, I am seriously thinking because of the way I, I hike and where I am, where I'm located, to going back to a partial hybrid or something like that. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I think the hybrid seems to be the way to go uh, from my perspective on this because it's the best of both worlds. But I think as far as these states mandating, I think California, I mean, California's always done this. Like, there's no downside for them. So it's a political winner for them to do this because they've got a lot of people that care about the environment and they see that as like a, a progressive step towards improving the environment. And then it's very easy for them to sort of roll back and just say like, okay, well, we said 2035, now we're going to push it out to 2045. The, the the upside for them to do it is that if the um, you know the car, the car companies really start picking up the technology, then they can say like, oh well, we were the leader, we were the thought leader in this, and we're good, so vote for us. So there's no downside for the politicians to 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 mandate this stuff, but there's really no teeth to it because it's really it's going to move at the pace of the technology. Yep. Mm, yeah. So yeah. don't get too upset, Stomp. I no, I'm not. But, I mean, my, my issues go very deep the more I study this thing. And we already talked about like this, the slave labor in the Congo. I mean, there's so many issues connected to this yep. topic. But I mean, this is All right, not- Stomp's the, getting pissed. This is Let's not move on to the next it. topic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just Stomp, you got to test drive not, one. Yeah, no, yeah. believe me, I'm not complaining about the technology. And I've heard the testers are friggin' amazing. But- um, for the folks out there that are doing it for the environment, those are the, the that's just a dead, dead argument. Nope. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. Right. Good. Cool. So um, other topic we had here. So Ch- chat GPT, which was the thing I was on for a little <laughs> while here. So chat GPT is actually an article came out that said it's smart enough to pass the medical licensing exam and the bar exam. And it'll also get you a B at the Wharton School of Business as a, a uh, I think in your ma- the master's program there. So yeah. Huh. Um, Pretty good. I think that's uh, that's pretty impressive. So ChatGPT is definitely smarter than I am. I can tell you that right now. Yeah. What's so? What does it mean for positions like occupations and humans? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I think that like if you're a copywriter or if you are um, a communications person, then I think it could be a threat to you. I think where it's going to be most dangerous is for. Uh, call center type jobs where you're sort of transactional, like those people that work the phone for the airlines, the people that work the phones for customer service. Um, You could even see it in kiosks for places like fast food restaurants or even ordering restaurants, you know, going into, you know, mid-tier restaurants and things like that. It can use this technology to to just basically uh, replace humans for taking orders. So I think that it's got a lot of potential for um, automation. But the downside is is that yeah, it, it's it's going to kick people out of jobs. I would think so. Yeah, interesting times. I would hope not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's scary. Yeah. Anyway, but moving on, we'll, we'll see what goes no. on with electric vehicles and ChatGPT. But Completely good news is the ice castles are officially open, Stomp, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Are you going? Are you excited? <laughs> you want to remind the listeners what that is? Well, it's right here in Woodstock. It's just uh, the frozen glacial, you know, decorative uh, sites there with all the flashing lights and whatever. It's been hitting Lincoln for the past several years, and it's it's a good time. It's pretty cool to see. Um, you know, they, this year, I guess they're serving alcohol, which, which might rope me into this. <laughs> That's a reason to go, but uh, yeah, I've been there and I've done that, but, uh, yeah, it is officially open. And actually it's funny. This is, we just got hit by a ton of snow, eight, I think eight inches over the last 24 and we have nine to 10 coming. So now snowmobiling is like 
just starting to rip. So that's good news. So I think we're in skiing too. Like it's, this is the moment. This is when winter really kicks in and just rips it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just looking at the weather for Lincoln over the next um, 10 days oh, or yeah. so. It doesn't look like, it looks like one day is going to get above freezing. So I think now is a good time to check out the ice castles. And, yeah, um, it's a cool time. You know, the one thing is it's yeah. super well attended. So it's very crowded. I think they're still in this smallish area in Woodstock. They used to be at the Hobo Railroad, which was pretty wide open, but um, it's in a new location. Uh, but yeah, it's worth seeing at least once. And the snowmobiling? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I'm waiting for the word, but my first shift is coming uh, tomorrow, which would be Saturday from the, the release. You know, last week I was scheduled, but the trails just weren't open. You know, that one storm we had pittered out to one to three inches, but I think we have enough now. What What's really interesting, all the clubs are out there trying to groom, but because it was such a windy early winter, there's just blowdowns everywhere. So that's actually one of the main reasons that the trails have been hung up. There's just too many blowdowns. So you have clubs, you know, driving around and just, you know, bringing their chainsaws and trying to clear it up. So hopefully Jefferson Notch, um, the, the Cog Railroad, uh, Mitten Mountain, all these local trails, the Twin Mountain will be open this weekend. I'm, I'm praying. Yeah, yeah. I think hopefully the, sto- the snow that's coming in in the next day or two will be like the sort of topping layer that will get, get you guys ready to go. I think so. Yeah, it should be. Yeah. I will say I was on um, Tecumseh, and we'll talk about that later. But I, I, you know, how they have those views where you can look out to the ski, the uh, the ski trails, like yeah. the, that ski trail that you go along uh, Mount Tecumseh Trail. Like it was looking pretty bony. There was a lot of like um, grass, grass sticking up through it, and yeah, it was yeah. like I mean, it was fully snow covered, but like there was a lot of like grass and sticks. Like it needed probably another eight or ten inches to just cover it up. Yeah, yeah, it's been a late crazy, winter. Crazy. Yeah, it's crazy crazy how how late it is. We're we're talking about this in January twenty, January late January. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So just a little bit of pop culture, miscellaneous entertainment stuff here before we get into some hike and talk stomp. So you've got a whole list here. You got Oscar season coming out. Um, mm. Nominations are coming out. Like I don't pay attention to any of this stuff, yeah. but it sounds like you're very excited. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a huge movie buff. Mrs. Stomp too. But uh, yeah, the nominations were Tuesday. This is Friday. Um, you know, The Whale, Elvis, uh, Tar with uh, Kate Blanchett, Avatar, Maverick, Fablemans. They all. Um, made a splash with certain nominations and um, this is the year that Will Smith might have been nominated for Emancipation but he's been banned as far as I remember so that's coming up in early March that should be super cool but um, I've been working on the background here on a a new little activity that we're going to do and um, we're proud to announce Slasher's own awards and what we're going to do it's called the Golden Gator Awards okay and I sort of concocted this with uh, the help of Mike and uh, Lynn Sweezy. So she's... I did nothing. Oh. I did nothing. (laughs) So what we're going to do in the show notes this week, we'll have a a form that you can fill out and what it covers is basically, you know... favorite mountain favorite hike favorite beer favorite piece of gears like 20 30 different categories you guys just log on to that form and fill it out and then at some future episode we're going to go through the winners and uh spend some time giving our uh golden gator awards (laughs) really yes when you do that stomp are you going to be able to 
we need to. So Howard Stern used to do this sometimes. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I forget what he used to call it, but like the thing I always laughed about is he would always like have the music <laughs> that they use in like the Oscar award shows. Like yeah, it was right. so funny. Like that yeah. that drippy saccharin big band music yes. in the background. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, um, yeah. And the only movie I've seen that got nominated was, is it Maverick? Is that that Top Gun movie? Yeah, yeah, that was interesting. I saw did that you, one on the airplane. Did you say, is that that Top Gun movie? That's Yeah, is that what it is? It's like the it's 80s, man. You're like 80s child. You gotta I know. know what Maverick is. <laughs> I, I, I half sure. watched it on an airplane. It was okay. It was okay. It wasn't bad. It was all right. It wasn't bad. I'm surprised it got nominated for Best Film, but okay, whatever. Um, I'll agree. I'll agree with that one. Actually, guys, I gotta... I, I gotta recommend Tar with Kate Blanchett. That's probably my favorite. I mean, if she, I would think she's gonna get Best Actress for this because it was incredible. It's a little bit offbeat. She's a uh, a conductor with somewhat of an abusive persona, and it's an incredible story, like two and a half hour long movie. But uh, check it out. You, I think you'll appreciate it, at least for the God, acting. Yeah. Anyway. And I know the whale, like that's that guy Brendan Fraser. Yeah. Like I think there's the big buzz about him. Like I feel like he peaked too early though. Like whenever it's like, oh, it's the guy that's supposed to win, it's supposed to win, then it becomes it's like some random person you've never heard of right. from a French film ends up winning Best Actor. And you're like, <laughs> who is this person? What is this movie? So, yeah, he looks incredible. I mean, a lot of that was prosthetic for his weight, but I do think he had to gain a certain amount of weight to look, you know, in the face. You know, um, incredible. Yeah. All right. And Will Smith is still banned because he <laughs> slapped Chris Rock last year. Chris Rock still hasn't really come out with everything yet on his reaction, but I think he's still pretty much done with uh, with Will Smith at this point. So I don't know. Will's Will's got issues. Well, yeah. Speaking of slapping, nice segue for the next topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Stomp put down this thing. Matter of fact, I, I didn't want to talk about this, but like there's a new thing from the UFC. So UFC is the ultimate fighting championship, which MMA, mixed martial arts, like it's really, I love it. But um, Dana White, who's the head guy, he's like the Don King of MMA. <laughs> he has started this new league, which is called the Slap League. And it's really, honestly, Stomp, like I have, an, I have no problem with this stuff. Like I've been a boxing fan my whole life in MMA. Yeah. This stuff gets me queasy. Like, I do not like it at all. It's essentially like that. You ever see arm wrestling where people stand across a table mm -hmm. and um, they they just like wind up as far as they can and slap each other. And literally, like, women and men are knocking each other out and they're hitting each other in the ear, which is just so disturbing to me because I know, I know how sensitive that can be. Like, you literally can lose your hearing from that. Yeah. And I don't understand how they let this be a thing. Well, they're dislodging. TMJ joint too of the jaw they're dislodging yeah. the jaw it's unbelievable and the TMJ joint is really the knockout zone you hit that and somebody knocks out yeah they're calling it like the new gladiator sport for um, the age it's pretty vicious but it I looks, guess it looks I watched a video it looks I gotta admit it looks scary it scared me yeah it's intense and by the way there'll be no slapping at this award ceremony for slashers <laughs> no. golden gators unless you guys want it I don't know that'd be fun yeah, no, it's 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 disturbing. So uh, I don't think it's going to last long. I honestly don't think. I can't imagine that there's not going to be a scenario where someone's going to file a lawsuit. Right? I mean, yeah. people are going to be losing their hearing. They got to be getting concussions. It's it's crazy. Mm. I watched I watched that video you gave me, and I was just like, man, this is uh, this is some crazy stuff. Like, 
I don't know how they would come up with this and it hurts me to watch it. <laughs> I don't know. They might yeah. get away with it. I mean, if you look at like MMA and just how brutal that is, it's assumption of risk. It's like that inherent, you know, danger of entering the ring. I mean, what? Yeah, it, it could be compared, uh, comparable in terms of the severity and the the nastiness of it. I don't know. I mean, I think. I feel like MMA and MMA and boxing are like an art form, and they've progressed to the point where, uh, and you could argue that actually MMA is probably better long term than boxing because boxing you've got that repeated pounding on your head. MMA yeah. has got sort of like one good punch and you're going to get knocked out. Yeah. But there's no art, or I mean, you could say like, okay, there's a technique to making sure you hit somebody in the perfect right spot, but there's no art form to this. This is just it's a spectacle. It's gross. Right. Right. Yeah, I'm, it's not my cup of tea, but it's out there. Yeah. It sure is. Um, all right, Stomp. And then the last thing, you said you want to talk about layoffs in the tech sector. I have opinions on this, but you can, you oh, can yeah. go ahead. I mean, the latest is, I mean, there, there's what, like 12, 13,000 with Amazon, NBC, uh, New York Times. I mean, there's layoffs everywhere. And I, this article regarding Spotify is related to the drop in advertising revenue. So a lot of these companies, I think, are just getting hit by the revenue. So they're just the loss of advertising. So it's just really interesting to me. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, my perspective is I, like I've been in, in and around the tech world for 25 years now. And, you know, I've gone through the downturn during the dot com um, days. I've gone through the downturn in 08, 09. And, um, you know, we, it looks like we got another one that we're dealing with right now. Yeah. And I think that the, the thing you got to keep in mind is that when people get laid off, especially these people that have been working on Amazon, Facebook, Google, um, these big companies that are, they're making, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. This can sometimes be a good thing that drives innovation. So you've got a lot of people that will say like, okay, I'm going to, you know, try to join a startup. You've got young people in college that are looking at the job market and saying like, there's not a lot of prospects. I'm going to go for it. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of times when you get these big sort of layoff pockets of people, I think it's good for innovation. And I, I suspect in five, 10 years, you'll you'll look back at this and say like, this was the opportunity that created a bunch of the, you know, the new companies that are doing great things at this point. So I don't worry about it that much. I think the people that got to be worried about it are the peripheral um, support people, human resources, marketing, sales, like they're going to be in for a harder time than the hard tech people are. Hmm. So if you're in those worlds and you're working in tech right now, just hunker down and, um, you know, work hard, make sure that you're valuable for your company. But I think the tech people, they'll be fine. Yeah. Interesting. I just saw a headline today too, that it, just a rumor that uh, DOJ may be looking at uh, splitting up Google. Did you hear about this? Um, no, I didn't. I saw that they've been going after Ticketmaster, which rightly so, but not yeah. uh, not Google. Huh. Adam. Just another headline. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think it's tough because Google's sort of like the the balance against Apple for the iPhone when it comes to um, antitrust. But who knows? Mm. Who knows? But anyway, Stomp, moving on to the next topic here. So two weeks ago, we did unpopular opinions. Yeah. Then last week, we did... Um, backpacking, um, overrated advice. Now I've got another one for you guys, which is stupid hiker <laughs> tricks. <laughs> okay. All right. right, so uh, you guys, I've got a little <laughs> list here 
but uh, you know if you have anything to add to it but the reason i thought about this stomp was that you had put something on the story for instagram about um infinite storm in that movie i didn't even catch this but naomi watts character who's playing pam bales she uses your sock method to keep her water warm isn't that funny i never noticed it until the other night too like oh damn hell yes did you notice it was that did you pick that out were you the one that no, realized you that? Know, who sent that um, to you? you know who saw that was uh, Mrs. Stomp. She's like, hey, she just used your sock trick, and we had to rewind it. And sure enough, she did the whole trick. And then somebody <laughs> on Instagram today said the only thing she didn't do was flip the, the Nalgene upside down to prevent the True. trip from freezing. I'm like, yeah, yeah, good call. Yeah, that was yeah. funny. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, like a... I think your sock with the duct tape works fine. I think you don't even need the duct tape. Like, she didn't use the duct tape. Um, yeah. I think, you know, the other trick for that is also to make sure that you're pouring hot water in your Nalgene in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be boiling hot. Yep. I agree. Exactly. Um, And then if you don't have a sock, then what you can do also is sort of wrap it in your down jacket and make sure it's in the middle of your backpack. But I prefer to use the sock method or I actually have like a, I have one of those like coolers that zips up around it so I keep it on the outside of my pack so mm. it's just easy to get to yeah those coolers are probably the most efficient because you know despite the sock that the cap still can freeze on my method yeah another stupid hiker trick that we've talked about before is my beer in a bladder um, technique where I got the three liter bladder right. and then I stick it inside the bladder and then surround it with ice and water like it keeps your beer cold for the summer so a can can fit through that little mouth it's a it's a three liter bladder, so it's a big bladder, and it's got that like um, it's almost like the size of your hand. Like it oh, it's un- giant. It, it's like a half turn. Okay, and then yeah, the beer just drops right inside that bladder, huh. and then you fill it up with ice, and then you fill it up with water, and then you drink your water as you're hiking, yeah. and then the ice will keep the the beer cold by the time you get to the summit. It usually holds for a couple hours. Yeah, that's super cool. Stupid yeah. hiker tricks. I thought you actually meant beer in the bladder, like for the whole hike. <laughs> no, no, I stick a can in it. So you, I'll put, what I'll do is I put a plastic bag. I put the can inside a plastic bag, talking. and then I put the the plastic bag with the with the beer can into the bladder. Then I fill the bladder with ice. Then I fill it up with water, and that way. I can I can use the bladder as a as a drink, and this is obviously only in the summer or hot weather, and it will keep the beer cold for when I get to the summit. I just take it out of the bladder and I take it out of the plastic bag because I don't like the metal taste. Plus, who knows what's been crawling around the can, um, and then I get a nice cold beer at the summit. Some of the some of the bladders have that slide off uh, thing too, as well, so you can put a wine bottle in there. Exactly. Yeah, they, you're right. They have that like little plastic thing, and it, it's it's a wide open. Mine mine have like a, a circle. So, but that's another stupid one. And then obviously duct tape on the hiking poles. Everybody knows that one. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I, I use deer fly tape on my hat. Mm-hmm. If the, during deer fly season it gets really bad, so I have this sticky tape that I put on my hat, and that that takes care of the deer flies. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I like to do for water, and this is a through hiker trick, is you get the smart water bottle and you use the Sawyer mini filter. And that way you don't have to use a bag to squeeze through the filter to fill it into another container. You simply just use your smart water bottle in the water source 
screw the Sawyer Mini filter on top of it and drink from the drink from the filter. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, yep. that is definitely a good one. And plus, they hold a, the the smart water bottles hold a lot of water, so bigger yep. than the pouches. Exactly. Exactly. And then another stupid trick is I just have like shoulder pockets, like anything, you know, if you can get pockets to go on your shoulder straps to put your phone in or food or a water bottle, then that's, that's another good stupid hiker trick. Hmm. Cool. I don't think they're stupid at all. So so Stomp, you got anything? Do I, the the one that comes to mind for me is um, in ticky areas, taking your long socks and rolling them them up and tucking your pants inside your socks and then mm-hmm. t- to double upon that is to get those pants with the zippers at the knees so you can make pants or shorts that zipper threshold tends to catch ticks pretty well and um, prevents them from getting up higher so that's just so a little tip i picked up over the years okay yeah i'm gonna rename this not so stupid tricks yeah they're not stupid at all <laughs> yeah you got anything stoss uh, I use, you know, sometimes when I'm in bushwhacking the Catskills, I use uh, double-sided tape to get the ticks, uh, to collect them on the front and the back end of my, my shins, basically. There you go. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a good method, too. Yeah. And you can get that stuff anywhere. You don't have to get that at, like, REI for a million dollars. You can go to your local hardware store and get it. Hell yeah. Yeah. Well, unless you want to spend a million dollars. It's totally cool. It's all branding. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it occurs to me too that you could use um, the deer fly tape, although that stuff is super sticky. But um, like, if you get it on on you, it's it's it can be difficult. But you could use those around your ankles too to to, to catch the ticks as they're crawling up. Hmm. So, um, all right, so that's good. So if you anybody anybody listening has any other stupid hiker tricks they want to share with us, just send send us a note or over Instagram or facebook or wherever i can't think of one stupid one though they're all pretty they're all not so stupid <laughs> very smart hiking tips they're smart huh yeah we have some coffees want me to run through them okay quick? yeah what do you got uh little man hikes donated three thank you very much and tony stewart the og fan of slasher donated five and she said don't choke on the coffee after the editing how do you failure. know tony stewart is a she Tony, Tony, T-O-N-I, because she's a, a friend, oh, actually, of, the, of me and Mrs. Stomp, and she's uh, the postmaster down in Waterville. Oh, Super okay. cool. Got it. Thank you, Tony. She liked, she she, she enjoyed the choking bit. Well, well, here's the story with, yeah, she did, she loved it, but Tony was the one that said to Mrs. Stomp, hey, I got to tell you about this cool podcast I just discovered, and Mrs. Stomp was like, Oh yeah, what is it? <laughs> she said it sounds like a search and rescue, and Mrs. Tom was like, "My husband's a co-host." <laughs> oh, she must have died. Yeah. She must have been like, "You got to be kidding!" It was me. hilarious. That's how that whole relationship started. So it's a good story. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Celebrities. All right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So all right. So welcome to episode ninety of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. Uh, what are we? Forty-five minutes in here, Snop. Another record. Yeah. Um, so this week we are joined by our friend Stosh. 
He is from the excellent podcast called Inside the Line, the Catskills. So Stosh is an experienced hiker, search and rescue volunteer, and podcaster who's going to join us to talk about the Catskills, going to talk a little bit about hiker safety. He knows a bunch about abandoned plane wrecks in the Catskills, and uh, we'll cover a bunch of other topics, including some recommendations for great hikes in the Catskills area. Um Later in the show, we're going to talk about some recent hikes that Stomp and I have done on Monadnock and Mount Tecumseh, and then we'll wrap the show up with a preview of the 2022 media-reported search and rescue events in the White Mountains for 2022. Um, I put together, I didn't get the whole thing done, but I put together a summary for the first half of 2022, so I'll share some insights and some trends for what we saw in the first half of 2022, and then in the coming weeks, we'll, we'll wrap it up the, the whole thing. But it just takes a little bit of time to gather the data stomp, and I don't let anybody else do it because I got a certain system that I, I, I use. So. Yes, sir. All right. So I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. So uh, right. for this drink section, we have two sponsors. Uh, we have a brand new sponsor, which is really exciting because we all love this uh, group. It's uh, 48 Peak. Peaks Alzheimer's, um, Hike to Fight Alzheimer's with 48 Peaks, a fundraising and awareness event for the Alzheimer's Association. Join 450 plus hikers this summer as we hike New Hampshire's 4,000 footers or create your own hiking adventure from a 52 with a view to a Prezi Traverse or climb your favorite mountain. Together, we will paint the mountains purple and raise vital funding to advance the care, support, and research efforts of the Alzheimer's Association. Visit alts.org, that's alz.org, right slash 48 peaks. That's the number 48 peaks to learn more. And our second sponsor is CS Coffee. CS Instant Coffee, zero waste instant coffee that comes in compostable packets, perfect for the trail and home. Each packet makes about 20 ounces of coffee, so you can take one of them on an overnight trip, and it makes two pretty good sized cups of coffee. Put it in your backpack, find some hot water, and you're good to go. Learn more by going to our show notes or Google CS, that's the letter CS, Instant Coffee. Or go to the website, csinstant.coffee. Coffee. Coffee. Uh, oh, Stosh, how do you say coffee? Do you get that New York accent? No, please do not associate <laughs> me with anything of the, of the New York City area, please. Is that that's only a New York City like Long Island thing? It's Long Island, you know. Forget about it. Yeah, yeah. coffee. That's just coffee. that's. But so, you, you, the accent does not carry up to the Catskills because you're not that far. It stops at Orange County. Like seriously, okay. it stops right there, and, and we we do not associate ourselves with any part of. <laughs> <laughs> the southern part of New York State. <laughs> okay, yeah. Like, I think the only thing I know about, like, your area is the Orange County Chopper show. Like, I used to watch that religiously. So did I, actually. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and I'm so disappointed now because, like, I see these TikTok videos and they're like, I bought an Orange County Chopper and it's not that good. Like, I guess they didn't use, um, um, what do you call it? What are those things called? Um, where it cushions your bounce. Oh, like uh, um, springs or something like that? Like, Yeah, yeah. They didn't use that on a lot of the bikes, so they're super uncomfortable to ride. I mean, most of so, them were made just for design and show, so it's nothing to ride. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, we got some beer talk here, Stomp. So what do you, you got anything tonight? Yeah, I'm enjoying 
an exclusive baby monster that Mrs. Stump and I brewed. We had nothing in the house. I'm like, all right, I'll just tap into one of them. It's like an American pale ale with a slight twist. It's, it's tasty. <laughs> so Stomp is still working on his homemade. <laughs> so Baby Monster is the brand of the beer that he named <laughs> yes. when him and Mrs. Stomp made it by themselves. Yeah. So that's impressive. Yeah, it's super cool. Yeah, named it after Daphne, the psycho cat. What you got cooking? <laughs> I have... Um, <laughs> the great state of Connecticut. So shout out to Martin and our friend Lynn. Um, I've got a little sip of sunshine IPA Hmm. from Larson's finest liquids, I guess is the name of the brewery. Sounds good. Yeah. You got anything stosh? Classic rum and Coke. Uh, it's been a long day. So (laughs) it's like, I need the the hardest stuff to hit. (laughs) Good. Sounds good. I haven't had one of those in ages. I know. I used to, that, that harkens back to my days in college. <laughs> so, all right. So, stop now moving on to recent hikes. So, we both were out this weekend. Um, do you want to um, give a rundown on your uh, adventure on Monadnock? Sure. Yeah, it was a beautiful weekend. Um, I, I touched base with at Nobby Hikes, and I've been itching to get together with him again. You know, he's he's been struggling with some medical stuff, and um, he agreed to meet me halfway. And I figured, you know what, the best the best halfway point for the two of us would be the Monadnock, and um, we made it a go. So it was uh, it was a really cool adventure. Um, I just really relied on him to take me up and around, and. You know, a two-hour drive for me from the Whites, but it was worth going to see a good friend, you know. Um, so it was it was pretty cool. Got to the, the trailhead. There was, you know, I made my reservations, which is a little odd. Never had to do that before for a hike, but that was interesting. They seemed pretty orderly. There was maybe about 15 cars in the parking lot and many people getting ready. Everybody looked pretty much prepared at um, 9 o'clock in the morning. It was snowing when we got there, so I... Packed a bunch of extra stuff. I had my heavy pack, uh, which was fine. I'm still trying to get in a little better shape carrying that nonsense. Um, and <laughs> we dove in. Um, he took me up. His plan was to do a, a, a circuit, just a, a grand loop. And he had calculated like a 5.2 mile loop. So we ended up going up um, towards Pompeii. It's called the Cascade Link, if I remember correctly. And everything was broken up until that link. So we got into the link and there was about five or six inches of unbroken snow. And, uh, you know, just making jokes about it the whole way. We used spikes. We did not need to use um, snowshoes. If we had used snowshoes, the snow was just so thin, it would have been a nightmare getting around the boulders and, you know, the water crossings and things like that. And then it gradually steepens and ultimately connects to that Pompelli Trail. Um, and at that point, you could rationalize using snowshoes. But again, the base of it was just, you know, n- not sufficient. It was just too much uh, boulder and rock, stuff like that. But certainly there were some areas of windblown snow that might have been up to like a foot or so. Um, but that traverse up over that ridge had to be about what a mile and a half to get to the summit 1.4 maybe if i if i remember yeah yeah so i mean i'm guessing that you must have gone cascade link to either spellman or red spur we didn't do the trail we didn't do the two middle trails that come off of the cascade link we went right to the end and then went up and connected 
Oh, okay. So you bypassed Spellman. So you did a long loop. Then. It was a long one. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, he told me all about your adventure and how you you know got to the cave and all that stuff. So we skipped yeah, those yeah. two middle connectors and went right to the end. So that, like I said, I think it maxed out at like one and a half, no more than two miles to get from the junction of Pompeii over to the summit. Does that seem Got about it. right? Okay, yeah, I've never done that. I've never done that. So that's a, that must be a nice. Oh, so Cascade beautiful. Link basically is a right off of sort of the main trail coming out of there, and then that that's just a mostly flat. I think you basically go from like twenty two hundred feet up to twenty six hundred feet when you connect with Pompeii, and then then the climb up Pompeii. It's gradual, but the last yeah. quarter mile of that uh, trail to Pompeii was pretty challenging, but fun. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it was somewhat unbroken. There was one pair of tracks that somebody had broken through. And when we got up onto the ridge, it was essentially like 30 mile an hour winds, um, low visibility. It, it, the visibility got worse as we continued towards the summit. We saw two people coming across the ridge and um, it reminded me to a point of like the Squam Traverse, but the closer we got to the ridge, the more it reminded me of the damn Northern Prezies. I was flabbergasted at how rugged it was up there and how rough the conditions were and um, I was just blown away we were maybe a tenth to two tenths of a mile from the summit and tracks were gone the tracks we were following were windswept um, our tracks were disappearing fast it was wild and and there was nobody else really on that ridge until we got to the summit and we saw on the summit maybe about a dozen people and it was ferocious. I mean, people saw the videos that I posted probably, but man, hardcore mountain. Now, I, I really understand now why people can get lost up there so easily and why it's such a common area for uh, rescues. Aside from the fact that it's a high volume mountain for visitors, it's just a pretty rugged, vigorous hike. I was blown oh, away. Yeah, yeah. And then we. It's legit. Oh, I it mean, is. That. I hadn't done the, the route that you've done, but like going Cascade to Spellman and yeah. then up to the peak and then coming back down like white arrow or white dot or whatever. Like that's a, it's a great hike. Yeah. Uh, distance wise, it's not too crazy. Like I love it. I tell people it's a great Friday night hike if the weather's right. Mm-hmm. But like what you, you're talking about is it's legitimately dangerous up there. Like if you don't I have know. visibility, like it's just as dangerous as any other peak in the, uh, you know, in the the northern presidentials, I mean, it's a little absolutely. I agree. It's a little, I guess, shorter to get down below tree line, but it's it's you can get lost easily on the Nadnock. Right, and and for us being up exposed above tree line for a mile and a half in that particular, I mean, it was like this gigantic cumulus cloud that was just sitting right on top of the summit and just stretched out across the whole ridge. Uh, it was intense. I was like a little wigged out at first. I was like, oh, this is going to be a challenge getting across this. Then we went down White Cross, and that was just as sketchy. It was like everybody was butt sliding down because it was glare ice. And yeah, man, not a joke. I was so impressed. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to imagine, like, I there was a, a, a number of rescues in the first half of 2022 as I was going through the list um, to put it together. Uh, but I have to imagine there's a bunch of rescues that go on that never even make the paper because yeah. there's a ranger station right at the bottom and people get in trouble. They'll tell the rangers they run up a mile or two and help somebody down. Yeah. Uh, but I have to guys. imagine there's a bunch of people that get frozen on white dot or white cross coming down because there's some sketchy sections there and the rangers probably have to go up there all the time to help people. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, saw one of those guys coming up as we were coming down. Just said, "Hey, what's happening?" But uh, there were, there were like, this is a funny story. When we got near the summit, there were three Germans that were in cotton pants, and they were heading towards us. Meaning they were heading back across the ridge that we had just crossed for the next you know mile and a half. And these guys were in cotton, and they were lost. So we're like, hey, where are you guys going? And um, they were like, oh, we were just at the summit. We're trying to find a way down. And they were looking for like the white cross side and they were heading the other direction. Mm-hmm. So um, they were confident enough. Uh, it went on their way. And I said, ooh, to, to Mark, I'm like, that doesn't look too good. And then when we got on the summit, they had changed their mind, thankfully, because they literally could not find any, they couldn't find our tracks, come to find out. Uh, that we had just put down. So I'm glad they turned around and went back down. Uh, they went to the summit and then found the proper way down. And uh, yeah. there was a couple other folks in cotton and stuff, but it, it is accessible. I mean, I was questioned by the ranger in the hut down below, like, have you ever been here? Do you need a map? And come to find out they rent spikes uh, down below, uh, if I'm correct about that. I think that's the case. So anybody can go up. I don't know. Interesting time. Yeah, no, I'm excited you went up there because I love it. I mean, it's it's mm. it's a place I like to take my friends that don't hike a lot. And, you know, I like I say, I always say it's a, it's a great Friday night hike. Leave your house at 3 o'clock if you got an hour, hour and a half drive. Get there, start hiking at like 4.30 in the summer. You know, you got till 8.30 at night until it gets dark out. You know, if you're, you gotta, you gotta know your pace, but like it's easy to get up there and then get down before it gets really dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we totally agree. Yeah. So let's find out about your trip to my neighborhood haunt. Yeah, yeah. I went over to Mount Tecumseh, which is right by Stomp's house, and he wouldn't even come see me. <laughs> yes. I was tempted. <laughs> Mrs. Stomp takes priority. Yeah, and she I does. understand. <laughs> I understand. So, uh, yeah, so I'm chipping away at the winter 4,000-footer list, and Tecumseh was on my list. Matter of fact, last time I was at Tecumseh must have been five years ago when I did I did a hike up Beaver Brook, up Musilaki, and then had lunch at the um, the burger place in Lincoln, at Black Mountain Burger, and then you met up with me for a night hike on Tecumseh. We saw, I think we saw the sun, sun setting or something up there. So yeah, it's, a, it's, a uh, it's been one. probably five years. Yeah, it's a great view up there, isn't it? It is, yeah. So I just, I, I got out of my house at like five in the morning. I got to the parking lot by probably 6.30, quarter of uh, seven. And I was expecting it to be cloudy because that's what the forecast was. But when I looked out, I got out of my car and it was blue sky or the, the, the sun was starting to rise and it was blue sky everywhere. Um, the only exception was the snowmaker. So I just started heading up there expecting the clouds to start rolling in. But when I got up there, there was a little bit of undercast out past the Osceolas. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I could see like, you know how I went up the backside so you can sort of see out towards Welsh Dickey through the trees and I could see the undercast, but it was still like, you know, pretty much bright sky. And I got up there and it was like perfect. Like the undercast was gorgeous. You could see out to uh, the presidentials. You could see out past uh, Osceola that was an undercast and you could see for miles mm-hmm. and I stood I hung out there for like probably 30 minutes taking pictures because it was just unbelievable I had you know breakfast and um, then all of a sudden like about probably 20 minutes 30 minutes in the cloud started rolling in and I could see the 
the the ceiling start to drop. Yeah. And literally within like five minutes, it went from the most amazing undercast I've ever seen to just cloudy, mm-hmm. nondescript. You couldn't even see, like I couldn't even see down in a Waterville where the ski lifts were. Amazing. Yeah, I saw it come in myself from home. I'm like, oh. Yeah, it was crazy. And I actually, I hate to be a jerk, but I was like patting myself on the back because no one else was up there. And as I was coming down, I kept seeing all the other hikers. And I was like, well, if you had woken up maybe 30 minutes earlier, you might have got a view. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it was just one of those days. Like I think the pictures I took up there were probably some of the best photos I've ever taken in the whites. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that undercast was killer. Yeah, definitely. I love those pictures. Yeah, yeah. And I think like people that were on Franconia Ridge that morning or they were on the presidentials, they must have like, I, as a matter of fact, I saw some pictures and they absolutely had a killer day. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Did you make it over to the Sossman, the Sossman Trail? I didn't. I didn't. I was like, eh. Yeah, I know. It's a mile. It's flat. Like, uh, if there was still like blue sky, I would have gone over there. Mm. But it was just cloudy at that point. And I was like, I just want to get home. And yeah, um, that's the that's the connector over to Grand Traverse. But there is one little outlook that looks towards the Tri Pyramids with this bench, a picnic bench, and it's just a really beautiful spot for views. It's worth a little trip out there. Pretty neat. Interesting. Now, can you, if you wanted to sled down like the ski trails, like how does that work? Like, can you do that? You got to bootleg it, man. I think you got to wait till they close and, you know, put yourself at risk of uh, getting caught. Yeah. I mean, it's probably not a great idea. All right. So it's not, not allowed. No. I didn't know what the rule No, is. definitely not. Because I mean, they, you got to think about the groomers, um, the, you know, the, the big machinery and stuff like that. Uh, some of these places use winches and stuff. I mean, it's actually, um, a liability for people to uh, just get on there and go. So they try to discourage that and they'll probably kick you off if they caught you. Got it. All right. So don't do that listeners. Right. I tried to do a little butt sledding on the way down because it is pretty steep from like 30, 3,600 feet up to about 4,000 feet or maybe it's 34 to 38 or something. Mm -hmm. It's pretty steep, but I couldn't really get a lot of movement going. I, I did one section where I got going a little bit, but that was about it. Uh, so, that's awesome. Then some people came up on the trail, and I got self-conscious, and I was like, I'm just going to hike down. <laughs> yeah, it's not quite uh, – well, I guess it was a good glare ice. You got to go to the right place for that. Maybe like Liberty a week ago or uh, – South Hancock is always the best. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's a good one for sure. Yeah, but. Valley Way. Remember, we did the Valley Way trip with uh, with the crew. Like, mm-hmm. we got that one section where we were going down, like probably like two minutes worth of sledding. It was great. Yeah, it's awesome. It's a good time. Yeah, cool. Um, all right. And uh, Stosh, have you ever been to any? Have you hiked any of these? Have you hiked Manadnock or or any? We'll talk about the Whites in a little bit, but I don't know if, if you're familiar with what we're even talking about. Well, I've listened to your podcast ever since it started, so I'm kind of. It feels like seriously that I know everything about uh, the whites, but oh, I've never cool. hiked. I ha- I've never hiked uh, the, any of the 48, but I've have hiked in New Hampshire. Okay, awesome. Well, we'll dig into that in a little bit more detail cool. in a minute. But but Stomp, you've got some notable hikes, I think, right? Yeah, we got a couple here. Um, okay. Jay, oh, let me do let me do Shandy first. So Shandy uh, did Mount Pemi. Nice work. Um, Stacy okay. Tardif, uh, Tardif 68, for a successful winter hike up Mount Cube. And oh, nice. Yeah. 
And then this is, I want to sort of hone in on this for a minute, Mike, and we should add this to the show notes because this is new by me, but Thomas 822 uh, sent a donation, or actually, sorry, tagged us, and it was his first out of 20 hikes of the Lakes Region Conservation Trust. So let's add this to the show notes, but basically the Lakes Region Conservation Trust covers about 20 different hikes throughout the Belknap region, the Castle in the Clouds region. It's amazing. And at the end of the 20, you can actually get a a patch. So they're providing a patch for you to finish all these. You know, it has like Mount Roberts, Mount Shaw. Uh, Really looks like a cool challenge. So um, check it out. A new list. A new list. list. Or maybe it's been around, but... A new patch. A new patch. Yes. Yeah. 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 Patch. Um... I'll have to check that out because I I think I'm I'm gonna finish the bell naps this year. I'll probably wait until like I found like the bell naps are good and that region's good to do in like April and May when the, the snow's melting. It's usually like a little bit ahead of the curve, so it's good to get down there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, but I'll check that out and put it in the show. Yeah, notes. good information. Guest of the week. Very cool. Very cool. Very, 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 very cool. Okay, so moving on here. So this is Stosh. This is your big moment here. You ready for your segment? I don't know, man. My 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 heroes are, are talking to me. I think I'm a little nervous. <laughs> you got to set your sights a little higher, brother. But um, no. welcome to the show. So, just as a way of intro, so stop. I don't know. Um, so I know Stosh from just connecting on social media. So we yeah. were in a couple of different like hiking groups and got to know each other. I think he's got probably a similar sense of humor and life perspective to me <laughs> when it comes to sort of hiking and, and having fun and um you know also a, a serious side too i think like you know he's got a background in search and rescue and um nice. likes to get out and and do a lot of hiking so we just got to know each other over time and you know we've stayed in touch and then you know we've he's we did that we started the podcast and then you know we we talked about uh, getting the podcast started up in the cat skills and you know you're you're currently the host of inside the line the cat skills so um we wanted to have you on to talk a little bit about the cat skills because i'm interested and um i think you've got some some interesting stuff to share with us so Stas, why don't you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your background and how you got into outdoor activities search and rescue and uh, a little bit about your hiking experience. Well, I, I know you, the one reason why you guys got me on here is because you want to get people away from the whites. I know that. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> yes, absolutely. True. The less crowds, the better for us. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, um, my name's Dosh. I grew up in uh, northern, well, central New York. Um, I've been here for probably 95% of my life. Um, I moved to Arizona for a little bit when I was 18 years old, hiked out there a little bit. I wasn't as big into hiking as I am now, but I hiked in Sedona and up in Flagstaff and stuff like that. Um, back in 2013, I went hiking with my friend Chad up in the Finger Lakes region. Um, all these awesome gorges, you know, 60 to 100 foot waterfalls, totally secluded stuff. And uh, I got Inst- sort of instantly hooked at that time um, just 
seeing these waterfalls and this, this sketchy area got me like introduced to uh getting a little bit further in the hiking world so um back in god i can't remember i think it was like 2014 my wife and i went down to kingston new york which is probably an hour and a half from us two hours and we drove through the catskills for kind of like a scenic route instead of taking the highway and you know i knew the catskills were there uh, i traveled through them all the time to go down to see some of my family down in long island but i never took it for granted i never like said like wow look at what we got here and uh, I instantly fell in love. We, we went through the Catskills. I told her to write down all these trailhead names. I told her to do all this, do all that. Um, and then, you know, I had my first big hike by myself solo uh, in the Catskills in 2015 for the 3500 Club Patch, which we'll talk about later. And I was hooked. I was instantly hooked. And I've ever since 2015, I've been hiking exclusively in the Catskills and you know, I've also hiked in the Canadian Rockies, uh, Utah, California, Arizona, Shenandoahs, Vermont, New Hampshire, and I think that's about it. Yeah. And uh, I'm also, of course, as we talked about, the editor, producer, host of Inside the Line, the Catskills, uh, something that was uh, inspired by you guys. You know, you guys created Slasher, and I was just like, you know, these guys are doing something awesome about New Hampshire. Why don't I do it about the Catskills? This is. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. Nice Thank work. you guys for, for inspiring me. Seriously. I, I, you know, everybody's probably just like, wow, what a loser. But you guys inspired me to do this. And Mike, you know, I've been friends with you for a little bit. And we don't have to talk about our days of uh, the old sounds like a search and rescue stuff of trolling. So if you don't want to, you don't have to. Oh, you're Mike. Mike. <laughs> yeah, and I've I've talked about this before around um, you know how sounds like a search and rescue got started was originally kind of a joke around you know people getting in over their heads and over time obviously it's turned into a little more of a serious endeavor but yeah I remember Stosh was around <laughs> in the early days of of that hell yeah I I loved it <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you um, you are involved in search and rescue, um, and then you know you're a pretty prolific hiker in the Catskills. Um, so if I understand this correctly about the Catskills, essentially like it's the southern range in relation to the Adirondacks. So it would be like our equivalent in New Hampshire to like the Cardigans and Monadnocks and Kearsars. Like we have a lower elevation or range of mountains in relation to the White Mountains in, in New Hampshire. So I think the Catskills are similar to that. Is that correct? Yeah, um, we're totally different than the Adirondacks, of course, uh, and the Whites and stuff. We don't have any open summits. Uh, our The Catskills were more of a historic place than than they are of a, of a hiking place, sort of, because, you know, life evolved around New York City and then they moved up to the Catskills and it was really big up there. But I mean, that's the one thing we're lacking up here is open summits, which I am very jealous of. Trust me. Got it. Got it. Interesting. And then as far as, um, you know, just going back to the podcast and, um, 
your your growth. So you're about 65, 70 episodes in at this point. Can you talk a little bit about sort of how you pick topics and how the response has been and, you know, what are some of the surprises that sort of have crept up as you've started to get into podcasting? I think we, we've the networking effect that we've had with with this show has been crazy. So that's something that stands out to me. I don't know if you felt something similar with the with the cat skills, but can you talk a little bit about sort of the progression of the podcast? Yeah. So um, once again, I like I like started out from learning from you guys uh, from your advice and stuff like that. And uh, eventually, I was just like, you know, I have fun in the cat skills. I want to teach people about the cat skills. Everybody goes up to the Adirondacks. Everybody goes to the Whites. Everybody overlooks the Catskills, even though when you're driving along 87, the view of the Catskills, when you're going up to the Adirondacks, the view of the Catskills is stunning. Massive, you know, 3,000 foot, 4,000 foot mountains. You guys have a little bit higher than that, but mm-hmm. appearing from the, the great Hudson Valley, which is, you know, 500 feet, and then you got a, a 3,600 foot mountain rising instantly from, from the Hudson Valley is just absolutely stunning. So I was just wanting to to preach about the Catskills and you know the Catskills is place filled with the the one thing that amazes me is the history of the Catskills we have so much history behind the Catskills whether it's the beginning of tanning uh with with the bark and and the leather and stuff or quarries or railroads or I mean I don't know if you guys ever heard about the Borscht Belt that's a fantastic story of course stupid dirty dancing I hate that movie but um (laughs) I love that movie. <laughs> what <Damn>. you do? <laughs> I knew it. Um, yeah. But I, I, like, I like to talk a lot about the history because it is phenomenal. Um, and the networking, it's it's really good. You know, I've I've kind of given some of my advice, and I, I tell people it's not professional, but you know, they they take it. You know, winter hiking is huge here in the Catskills because you know people do not want to travel up to the Adirondacks that far in, in, in the winter. And so that's kind of like their, their starting route and, uh, you know, talking about hiker safety in the winter and, you know, just hiker safety in general has been a pretty big topic for, for the, the podcast. And it's, and it's really, it's really fun, you know, just to hear feedback of people, you know, saying like, I enjoy your podcast really inspires you to do a little bit more. And, uh, I seriously bounce all over the place. I don't just do hiking. It's, history you know local people who just hike in the Catskills local people who work in the Catskills um it's been a pretty cool ride I gotta admit got it and then as far as the the hiking culture there so obviously like the White Mountains and Adirondacks are very heavily sort of focused on list culture and I know the Catskills in case somebody's doing like the 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 Northeast 111 or 115, I can never remember that. There are two peaks in the Catskills that are over 4,000 feet that you do climb as part of that list. Uh, but can you talk about, uh, you know, how the culture of hiking within the Catskills is different than what you might find in the Adirondacks or the Whites? You know, I'd have to say it's, it's not really much different. Um, the 3,500 Club is huge in the Catskills, of course, okay. um, just like the 48s, just like the 46s. The 46ers, uh, 111, but uh, the 3500 Club is, of course, our biggest grabber of the Catskills. Everybody goes and do these, does these 3500 peaks. And uh, what's special about the 3500 peaks is that the requirements to get into the club is actually very, very special. Um, you have to do four winter peaks to be in the club. Um, you have oh, to do a total of 37 hikes, 23 trailed, 
14 bushwhacked, and four winter peaks. Wow. Interesting. So can you, I was curious about this because I was looking at like that list. So can you talk about the bushwhacks? Are they bushwhacks from like, we have Owl's Head, which is, you know, people do a bushwhack for that (laughs) um, as part of getting out there a lot of times like Black Pond, but it's really just sort of an established kind of bootleg trail. But how, how is the bushwhacks? Is it, does that mean you can basically approach it from any direction or is it just you're using uh, a, a pretty well-established herd path that's just not officially recognized. So that's 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 a big topic right now. Actually, you know, we had a, I had a podcast about that, the informal trails of the Catskills, and uh, a lot of the the bushwhacks are not really bushwhacks anymore. You could easily follow a herd path the whole way to the summit and back. Uh, I wouldn't say in every direction, but in the most dominant directions to like the easier trailheads and stuff. Which is, which is disappointing, to be honest. Uh, you know, I started hiking the Catskills eight years ago, and when I first did my bushwhacks, they were true bushwhacks. I had to use GPS or my uh, my map and compass, which I I strongly used, and it was and it was fun. But now, going up a simple peak that is required as a bushwhack, you can easily find a herd path and follow it almost probably all the way to the top. It's it stinks, but you know that's the way it is. Interesting. So, Stomp, this sounds like a place that you would be in heaven with. I, yeah, I mean, as a child, I went there. I have a weird story that we could talk about, but nice. anyway, um, what what's what is the uh, sort of the, the circumference or radius of this region versus the whites? Ooh, um, what I think the Catskills are three hundred and seventy-two thousand acres. I think. Okay. Of. So how much is the whites, do you know? I have no clue. <laughs> I was hoping you would yeah, know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Michael, I don't know. find it quick. I mean, it looks, Stomp, it looks like to me like maybe the lower half of the whites. Okay. Yeah, like it's half. pretty small. Okay. I got to admit, it's it's very, it's the Catskill Park is, is, is a small park. And well, it's he, mostly of the higher peaks uh, in the Catskills, so. Here's an interesting question. So how are, how far away are you from, say, Manhattan? Uh, my, where I live, are you saying the Catskills or where I live? The Catskills. So the most southern part, I would say it's probably like two and a half hours. Okay. So what, I know I'm going off script here, Mike, please mm-hmm. forgive me, but I'm just really curious. So during COVID and the lockdowns, what did you see for visitation? Did you see big jumps like we did? Oh, Holy, I, I, I'm sorry for the explicit thing, but holy shit, it was oh, yeah. absolutely insane. So we have, That's interesting. I don't know if you've ever heard of Catterskill Falls. You ever heard of that? Mm-mm. Nope. 250 foot, two tiered waterfall. It was like a big iconic painter's area for Thomas Cole and a bunch of painters in the, in the early 1800s. And, yeah. um, Beautiful waterfall, photogenic, absolutely stunning. Everybody and their freaking grandmas came up there during COVID. Yeah. Um, Giant Ledge, another popular place. Everybody in there, the whole families came up there for for COVID. Um, the Blue Hole, we had to start a permit system because of how insane that place was during COVID. Um, and I have, you know, there was times of after the weekend I went to Catterskill Falls, and after the weekend, I went and did my own cleanup. I filled, 
I, I think it was six bags of trash bags of stuff right in the parking lot alone that was only could hold like five or six cars. Yeah. Reason I ask is um, I wonder if it impacted the um, the bushwhack aspect of the Catskills. If that's part of an actual patch process, you know, you're going to have people bushwhacking, and who knows if that wasn't part of uh, the equation. I would I would say it was um, during during COVID. Actually, we used to have 39 peaks that you used to have to hike for the 3500 Club, and two of those peaks were on private property. Yeah. And during COVID, we had to shut that. They actually closed off those peaks. The pe- the landowners closed off those peaks too. Oh wow! Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. It was, and that was, you know, I forgot to add that I was at the time I was uh, the second vice president of the thirty five hundred club. So that was a definitely challenging time to chat with the landowners that own that. And uh, if you ever knew Catskill history, they are the Goulds and the Goulds. Mm-hmm. Uh, owned a lot of the railroads, owned a lot of the property and stuff like that in the Catskills and in uh, Manhattan, actually. Hmm. Yeah, and stop. There was like, a, and Stosh, you'll remember this. Like, I remember this vividly as there was this graffiti artist guy from New York mm-hmm. that, like, he was like the typical sort of New York City, like Brooklyn dude, like hard. I mean, this guy probably served some time, I think in the past, but he went up to the Catskills and decided like he was going to like, you know, put his art on one of the shell, like literally imagine like somebody spray painting, like one of the, um, the AT shelters, like this guy spray painted the whole thing. And then everybody went crazy. Then he realized his mistake. Then he went up there to try to like, remove it with like I don't know sandpaper or whatever and then the cops came arrested him it was a whole thing I'll matter of fact I'll I'll include the uh the link in the show notes of the story but like that guy was wild mm. Ooh, that, was, that was a fun one because he you know to to notice how people to show how people stupid people are this guy actually put his uh what would you call it his at he put his sign on his, the lean-to his tag his tag he tagged himself his, on the lean-to Oh, geez. And that's how stupid yeah. it was. And then he, that's later on, right down from the lean-to, is uh, a ski resort. And he tried to drive his truck up one of the ski uh, slopes and got stuck halfway and then took out his his table saw or his sand, sand saw and tried to hike up there. And that's when the, the rangers caught him and, <laughs> and arrested him. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was wild, but I'll I'll include the link to the uh, the article on that guy. I think he got got fined pretty badly. But so, Stosh, what other um, what are some of the 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 big sort of must visit places in the Catskills that you would recommend to a new visitor? Oh, uh, none. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Please stay away. <laughs> you got to give up the secrets here. <laughs> well, um, you know, uh, uh, of course, like I'm I'm a history bluff of there. There is a a mountain that used to be an old ski center. It was actually going to become one of the biggest ski centers in in the East Coast. Uh, And it's got an old path that goes up to the top. It's called Bear Pen Mountain. Uh, Check it out. It used to be called the Princeton Ski Bowl. Very awesome story of when a guy was ready to build this massive ski resort on one of the best mountains that caught all the weather, caught all the snow. You know, mountains two miles over had like six inches of snow. They had like 24. So he knew the area. 
and there's a lot of history up there. Old ski runs, old trucks and stuff, pulley system, rope tow systems, you know, when people would just go up by uh, a pull tow up to the top of the ski center. Opens, not, I would say open summits, but open views of where they used to cut for the the ski slopes and stuff like that. That's a that's a nice one um, to definitely start yourself. It's, a, it's definitely an easy, good climb. Any of the fire towers are huge right now. We have awesome easy fire tower challenge um hunter red hill balsam lake uh a bunch of you know any any waterfall is beautiful of course they're they're being over stimulated right now with with the amount of people but you know i don't i don't blame them it's i can't blame anybody for for hiking now and checking out these places yeah, and what do you typically do? Like, are you a, like a midweek hiker, or do you get out on the weekends? What's your What's your typical um, hiking life look like? Like, I'm all, like I get out like once a week. Basically, I pick like a Saturday or Sunday and get out. Like, what do you typically do? Usually, which is cool things, I hike on Tuesdays because that's my day off. So I have, oh nice. I have no other people out with me. Usually, I hike solo all the time. So breaking trail is is a pain in the ass, uh, but it's mm-hmm. always fun. Um, and then on, on Sundays, I usually try to hike uh, with my wife, and if she wants to, which usually she doesn't, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but usually once or twice uh, a, a week, I'm out, and then I'm always out for volunteering mostly. Got it. And wow, then um, what do you see for, um, I guess, search and rescue and people getting in trouble? I mean, I think proximity to the city, you're going to get a lot of people up there that I would assume probably get in over their heads. But can you talk a little bit about you know, what you typically see as far as um, you know, the, the danger places that, that people get, get in trouble with? Um, you know, um, I can't talk too much, but I can talk uh, about the rescues we've had up here for the rangers and stuff like that they um typically the rangers take care of everything because our trails aren't that that crazy as you guys crazy as the adirondacks and stuff like that um but it's it's mostly all about uh the ice and spikes and stuff like that i mean we we just recently had two rescues on on the same place within two hours of each other of one guy breaking his ankle and then the other guy slamming his head because they didn't have traction that's that's a basic common denominator here oh sure yeah and then the yeah, we sh- it's it's really cool because the, the catskills pack a punch in certain areas i mean i don't know if you guys have ever heard of devil's path yeah i've heard of that can you talk about that what what exactly is that it's a, it's a pretty long hike right so yeah 24.6 miles actually i got the shirt on right now um, 24.6 miles, 9,000 feet of elevation gain and loss. And, uh, it's, it, it, like I, like I said, it packs a punch in the beginning. You, you hike two miles. Uh, if you're going from the Indian head, uh, trailhead, you hike two miles in on flat and all of a sudden it just starts gaining instantly. And it's, and it's fun. It's slippery rocks, big, huge boulders, roots that you have to climb up. Uh, a lot of different obstacles at some time you're scrambling but nothing nothing like of course the whites and the adirondacks where it's absolutely crazy but it's very underestimated and this is a point to point it's not a loop yep point to point how does that work logistically do you just you have to have a car spot or is there shuttle services definitely have to have a car spot we're not we're not that uh i don't know why we're that not established with the shuttle services yet but i have a feeling it's going to get there 
Interesting. And would that be the hardest hike in the Catskills? Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, and Stomp knows this stuff. I mean, if you do a bushwhack, of course, it's going to be like 50,000 times harder. But um, if we're talking long distances, true, true. yes, definitely. Um, if we're talking about, you know, like maybe one or two hikes that are crazy, um, there's a peak called Wittenberg. Um, it's like uh, four and a half miles to the summit. At times, you know, you're going up little nice steady inclines and then, you know, three quarters of a mile towards the summit, it starts freaking scrambling and roots and slippery rocks and stuff like that. And people always see those Instagram posts of the beautiful summit view and they're like, oh, I can do this. It's only four and a half miles, but now they usually camp. Interesting. And then the, I'm just looking at the map as we're talking right now. So if I understand this, is is the rules for the list the same as it is in like the 4,000 footers where you can do multiple peaks in one hike or do you have to do each peak individually? Yep. You can do multiple uh, in one hike. A lot of, you know, we just had a guy break the record for, I actually had him on the podcast for doing all 33 uh, hikes in the winter and God, what was it? Maybe 33 or like 43 hours, I think. Wow. So is that the, is that like a deratissima? Like we call a deratissima, basically you do a continuous hike of every peak in the white. So there's an equivalent to that in the Catskills as well. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Wow. It's pretty crazy. Maybe we can do that this summer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to. You guys come down here. It's, it's the, you know, the bushwhacks are my favorite. Personally, I, I, I try to challenge myself every time and try to approach it in a different way. And the new, the new terrain and the unexpected terrain is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Interesting. Now, how obviously I think you had mentioned a little bit about like sort of private property issues, but I'd imagine that there's, there's probably other places where you got to be careful about making sure that you're not trespassing in people's property if you're out there bushwhacking, right? Yeah, of course. Um, there is definitely a lot of areas that are like sectioned right here, right along the line. And, and, uh, you know, the DEP, which is New York state department of environmental protection and New York DC, um, are trying to purchase some of these properties that are going over these areas. But a lot of, a lot of people are, are actually, you know, it's, it's pretty cool that they're following the rules and, uh, staying away from these areas, which I find fascinating, but you know what? Uh, social media, the internet, stuff like that is really helping out with these these problems that we're having. Hopefully they're doing the same with up there in the whites. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. And then you had said that, I mean, you had talked about this when we had exchanged notes, but there's a, there's some abandoned um, plane crash sites in the area. I would assume like there's a lot of flights like coming in and out of New York area. So can you talk a little bit about that? Like how many site, how many plane crash sites are there? So my, my friend and I, my friend Joe Ferry, he's a, a great friend of mine. I call him my hiker dad because he's like got to be pushing 70 something. Um, he and I f- like uh, fell in love with finding plane crashes in the Catskills. And uh, on like two of the hikes that you do, you actually literally run into cat into, into plane crashes on the, the mountains. Uh, stop a point on the escarpment trail, very well known, right in the middle of the trail is a plane crash uh fairly intact uh i think the the fuselage is is missing but um i think they took that back for for you know further research and stuff like investigation on another site uh around like a ski run is 
uh, a plane that's disintegrated into like thousands of pieces. But doing that sparked my interest in the plane crash at the Catskills. So I hooked up with my friend Joe and we mostly he does all the research. I do some of most of the hiking, but um, finding research of all these plane crashes, there's uh, for what we think there are 40 plane crashes in the Catskills that at least have wow. some evidence of a plane wow. crash in there that has at least some like wing or part. That's amazing. That's a lot. Wow. Yeah. Because yeah, I think stop like if you between Maine and New Hampshire, I, I probably can think of like maybe five or six, right? Right. Yeah. Approximately. Yeah. yeah. I mean, wow. we have so down towards the south, there was Stewart Air Force Base. And at during the, I think the 1930s through the 1980s, when, you know, visual flight regulations, VFR came along, they, a lot of people didn't care about that. They didn't care about, you know, fog or snow or different sort of the elements. So they would fly from Stewart Air Force Base to maybe Vermont to go ski or, you know, up in the Adirondacks. And they don't know that the Catskills somewhat exist. And right when you hit sort of the Catskills is a sudden... 3,000 foot rise in a couple of mountains, maybe like five or six mountains. So these pilots were flying into fog and they're like, oh, I'm at 2,500 feet. You know, if I'm along the Hudson, I'm fine. But they're not along the Hudson. They're a mile off of the Hudson River Valley and you run into a, a freaking mountain and there are plenty of there. We've I've definitely discovered some crazy, crazy plane crashes. So is it mostly single engine type planes or is there any commercial air, airlines that, that went down? They're mostly Pipers and Cessnas, and uh, that's the majority, but um, I have found, well, not I have found, a lot of people have found there's a B-25 bomber located on Friday Mountain, which is a World War One airplane, I believe. Mm -hmm. Wow. Massive. There is a fighter jet located on one of the rims of Panther Mountain. Uh, that is an incredible story that they were doing flight maneuvers. Guy miscalculated one of the, the ridges and smashed into the side of the mountain at 500 miles per hour and disintegrated basically wow you you go there i mean it's it's a tough place to find i'm, I'm I'll never give that place up because it's very very crazy there is probably around oh god a, a quarter of a mile of debris just splattered everywhere um and you could still see this happened in i think it was like 1962 and you could still see the crater from where it impacted and just freaking disintegrated everything. That's intense. Interesting. Now, um, the 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 summits and the peaks of the Catskills. So you had mentioned most of them are wooded, but is there any open open summits in any of the peaks? Not one single open summit. <laughs> That's the unfortunate. Really, thing. I'm assuming there's views and outlooks and plenty of plenty of scenic views, though, right? Oh, plenty. I I think. Um, God, I tried to say this before i think there was like seven or eight mountains that you do not get a view mostly bushwhacks um but you get at least some sort of view on the way there uh especially you know different bushwhacks uh have like a little open peak that you if you know where to go you can find it of course um but okay some of these are i'd have to say disappointing but we have uh on the bushwhacks we have canisters so you can sign into the canister and you know, see who else was there and stuff and write something a little funny. I like to write some movie lyric or movie quote from past times, you know, up there. And uh, it's really cool. to. It's a very good accomplishment. You know, you don't just get to the summit. And you're like, hey, I'm here. And then you walk back down. You get to sign into a cool yeah. canister. 
Awesome. Yeah, we have a similar, uh, although that's more of a stomp thing than a mic thing. So, uh, but he, he's the bushwhacker of the crew. Mm. And I think speaking of that, I think I might set up a bushwhack. Uh, we got a bit of a response for a modest bush, bushwhack. So keep your ears open. Something comes nice. down the line. Yeah, that'd be fun. All right. Very good. Um, all right, Stosh. So I think just to wrap up here, I think talking a little bit about safety. So in the whites, we've had some issues with like um, younger hikers getting in trouble, not being prepared. I'm assuming you get the same scenarios in um, the Catskills. Can you just talk about your perspective on, you know, how do you get the messaging out to people around safety? Do, do you find that, um, you know, it's... It's it's heard when you're pushing sort of the message around like the ten essentials and, and approaching things from a safety perspective, or do you still feel like there's a lot of people just getting out there and, and doing reckless activities? You know that that's it's so crazy that that you can actually say that with this day and age with social media and the internet and stuff like that. Um, I you know I started off just searching stuff on the internet exclusively um, writing down the peaks writing down the distances writing down the difficulties and then I carried everything and anything I could carry just so I didn't get myself in a difficult situation Um, but you know every time that I see some negligence or something like that it's it's seriously like wow you you couldn't like look up online that you might have needed really good shoes for this or you know in the winter you could have needed traction in November when you know we just had a snowfall of three inches and then an ice melt um, mm-hmm. but trying to, to it, it's probably the same as thing as you guys face trying to I don't know how these people don't get this information and they get themselves into these sticky situations um, but you know maybe it's it's gotten better but but worse I think the publicity kind of pushes it a little bit too far I don't know what publicity was like uh, 10 years ago when this stuff was happening, so... Sure. Makes sense. Yeah. it's. I mean, there's still people getting themselves in these situations. I mean, Catterskill Falls, um, it's a a massive 250-foot, two-tier waterfall. You're going to have splash on there. There's going to be ice all over the rim, and this has got like a a 500-foot stone staircase. Of course, those stones are going to be covered in ice. Yet that's where all the rescues happen because people want to get to the base of those falls and take the picture. But they're like, oh, I can figure out how to climb down these 300 feet of vertical staircase and get myself into a crappy situation. I don't understand. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's tough to figure out people. I mean... As much as we try to get the message out around safety, I think at the end of the day, there's still going to be people that just go out there and either they they think that they know everything they need to know to stay safe or, you know, they just don't even understand that there's there's risk to this. And there's a lot of people that just get in unlucky situations. I think that's like 90% of the time is it's just like a twisted ankle that could happen to anybody. So, um but it seems like the Catskills has sort of the same same issues and challenges that we see in the whites, it sounds like. Yeah, it's just, you know, the ice is, is the biggest factor. Uh, and people underestimate some of the Catskills and they're like, oh, it's, it's only little hills, you know. But they're not little hills once you get up to these, these like, calls and stuff like that. It starts to rise suddenly in a quarter of a mile and you have boulders and 
it's it's crazy sometimes but of course it's like that all over the world so i can't sure. say yeah that it's that bad here we don't have it as bad as you guys up in new hampshire and vermont and the adirondacks i will say that yeah now do you go to the adirondacks a lot uh i've been to the adirondacks uh my for my 40th birthday i decided to to climb the the highest peak in the adirondacks uh, which is mount marcy and as much as I loved it, I'm, I, I really hated it because the Adirondacks do have open summits, which is awesome. But, you know, you hike three or four. It's just like, like you know, I only know of New Hampshire through you guys and through, like, research. Owl said, you know, you hike three miles in and then you start gaining an elevation. That's yep. the way the Adirondacks are. Mm-hmm. Their trailheads yeah. are so far from the actual start of the gaining of elevation, you start to lose interest and feel like like god damn when is this gonna start oh yeah see i like that i like the long approach to sort of warm up like give me a flat approach and then i will uh i'll 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 take the climb afterwards but i guess it's just what you're used to yeah you don't like the long walks you you don't hate the long walks out that you're just like oh my god when was then I don't know. I I think more and more like my hikes have been in the like seven to eight or maybe nine mile range lately. So, you know, anything bass. I do have some big long ones coming up. So maybe check with me after I do those three or four super long hikes. I do have to do Owl's Head. I may do that this weekend. So we'll, we'll see. I may be singing a different tune. Nice. We'll see. Uh, but what's your future plans with the podcast? Anything big or are you just going to keep one week at a time? One week at a time. I'm nowhere, to be honest, I am nowhere near what you guys are. I, I can't, and it's insane how you guys have just uh, excelled in every category whatsoever. And I'm, I, I listen to it every week. So I'm just going week by week, seeing who I can get on there. I've, I've had a couple good ones. I've, I've had a couple boring ones. Um, one of my most recent ones was about the, was really cool about the Bald Eagle Restoration Project here in in the Catskills in New York State. Oh wow, and that's awesome! It, yeah, dude, it was uh, you know back when I was like a young kid, we only had one bald eagle's nest here in New York State, and now mm. there's over five hundred. Yeah, it's crazy how they bounce back. Like even in my area here, like they're all on the river. It's like you just I, I'll see bald eagles like everywhere now. Yeah. It's crazy how they bounce back. Yeah. yeah, I never never saw them when I was a kid unless they had they had one nest down where I lived and they were they were on the verge of extinction, which I was just like, "Oh my god, how could how could this happen?" And then all of a sudden, you know, I see them flying over my house uh, and I'm just like, "What the hell?" Like it's really cool. Wow. Yeah. That's a neat topic idea. We'll have to steal that one from you, Josh. <laughs> I've stolen, I've stolen a lot of stuff from you guys, so sorry. Hey, have at it. That's it's all awesome. yours. So anything else to add, Stomp? Did I miss anything? Any questions you have? No, I would just, I, I did have some questions about the grind and like the microphones and the gear and stuff like that. But uh, if, if you want to just talk about that for a brief minute or two, like you do this every week. Um, I mean, one man show is very impressive for me. I think that's the coolest and probably would be very intimidating for me uh, to pull off, but uh, tell us a little bit about it, just the behind the scenes. It sucks. Uh. <laughs> you know, I am so jealous of your guys' your, your two uh, charisma that you have, and uh, I really wish I could have a co-host, and trying to get a co-host is, is really tough, because, you know, I have a good friend 
that uh, is really funny and really connects with me, but he doesn't know crap about the Catskills, doesn't gotcha. know crap about hiking, but he's hiked with me very several times before. Interesting, so, um, yeah. Getting him uh, on here would be would be fantastic. He just needs to be throwing the Catskills, but you know, it's it's it is difficult. You know, like writing out things, uh, editing, talking with the people, figuring out questions, finding people. Um, but it, you know, a lot of people help me out, throwing me ideas this way and that way. Um, it's it's really it's really it's been a wild ride. And yeah. sometimes I know you guys are probably figuring out like like oh man, this is exhausting. But then, it's a lot, you know. Somebody, yeah, somebody gives you a, a compliment, and you're just like, "All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick to this." Yeah. Well, we appreciate listening. You're listening, and uh, hopefully, you get some hits off of this. I mean, I've listened. It's a good, good show, and uh, yeah, just keep at it. You know, as long as you have the passion for it, and you're just uh, in those mountains and enjoying it, and able to relay that information. I mean, that's that's what's. Uh, the magic is all about so but hopefully you find somebody if you're if you're looking truly i mean there's got to be somebody out there the guests help occasionally that that's a cool option but uh yeah 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 it's tr- it's tricky i mean like honestly stosh like me and stomp have never gotten into an argument like everything has always been sort of like very organic about going back and forth like we shoot each other text all week about sort of topics and things like that and it is like if you can find somebody like that, that's it's it's gold. So because it does, it splits up the the work, yep. and we seem to have a good rapport as well. So I don't know if you can find your find your stomp. <laughs> everybody, everybody needs a stomp and a, a knobby. Oh yeah, exactly. Right. It's it's trust me. I, I I'm jealous every time I listen to because your guys, like you said, it's it's all organic. You guys flow one after another and I'm I'm very jealous of it I'm just like damn <laughs> well well keep at it sometimes we don't flow but we'll we'll work on it but uh, but no it's great definitely uh, listeners if you want to check out you know learn more about the cat skills I feel like it may be something like I I'm thinking about like the fact that my kids are going to be off to college like I got to start thinking about more trips for me and my wife and I think the cat skills will be um on the list for sure. Do they still have those resorts where you go into like the um, the bathtub that's like a big wine glass? You know what I'm talking oh, about? Like that's what I think of the Catskills. What's the name of that place? <laughs> oh, the Poconos, right? Poconos? Oh, that's the Poconos. Oh, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Well, yeah, that's the, that's the Poconos. That's down in Pennsylvania. But we have a place here in Roxbury that is very, very crazy with their, their hotel rooms. Like it's, I think they throw you in a hotel room that you don't know what is the theme is going to be and it's absolutely insane like one of them was like i have never been there i've only seen pictures i think it's called the roxbury and uh like one of them's like a snow theme where all everything's white like everything is white one of them's like uh outer space theme where the walls are like just like you know like organic matter and stuff like that it's just it's it's (laughs) it's wild stuff are there any like abandoned like I feel like there's all these abandoned resorts in the Catskills that you can like sneak into and check out, or is that not a thing? That that's uh, that's somewhat still a thing. Uh, okay. They of course, uh, like I said, the Borscht Belt was was huge in the Catskills here, where all the Jewish people yeah. came up and built massive yeah, yeah. resorts in the 1960s, and that's one of my favorite topics. I just find it amazing that they came up here and they came in and went all out and then all of a sudden it just dropped 
right and the funny thing is when it dropped was the start of air conditioning and the start of, start of cheap flights to other countries so all these Jewish resorts would build these massive places where everybody would come and socialize and have a great time and then the kids didn't want to do anything when there was air conditioning it's really weird Interesting. So, and then they started like, okay, we can fly to Florida. We can go to like, you know, Miami or we can go to the Caribbean or we can go, where, you know, wherever. So the Catskills became much, much less appealing to them. Yeah. I mean, most of them were flying over to Europe and to like the, the Swiss Alps. I mean, the the, uh, the Catskills were called uh, the Jewish Alps. That's what they were called um, because they, they wanted to come up for cooler weather other than New York City and they all flocked up here and uh if you read stories about it it's just seriously it's amazing of like you know dirty dancing of course that's that's one of the bigger uh sign the, the showings of the catskills is when people went up there and danced and you know socialized and stuff but that doesn't show like any of the the picture of the massive resorts that they had up there they had uh you know will chamberlain was up here doing some stuff all the actors and actresses were up here uh doing their their gigs at their first starts and they became huge with uh the borscht belt and uh there's still some abandoned stuff uh there's still some stuff that's running up here uh a little bit um one of the great places called the Nevely um has like a a circle tower that people used to go up and take wedding photos and and pictures and stuff like that of the, when they were in the jewish the the jewish catskills and stuff it was really cool time Interesting. Do they have casinos in the Catskills? We have one casino now. Okay. Okay. So, stop. We may have to take a road trip and go go crazy in the Catskills. Well, let's go to this place. We'll do a guy's trip. After after all this talk, I have to tell you my story. I was a little. Yeah, yeah. I, was I was waiting a, for that. What the heck? Oh yeah, that's right. Well, it's it's sort of sensitive. I don't know if I have permission to to tell this, but I'll find out soon enough and cut it if I have to. But uh, when I was a okay. little boy. My mom had a friend who was into transcendental meditation. So, Stomp, were you in a cult? Well, this is this is the funny story. So, <laughs> oh there was boy. one weekend that we were invited to go to the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi's transcendental meditation camp in the Catskills. You were in a cult. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. So I don't know, if, Stosh, if that still exists there or not, but I spent the weekend, so I was a little kid, so I was just like, wow, this is pretty cool. It was just beautiful. I remember, I have clear visuals of the surroundings being really beautiful and all these like, you know, very yogi, peaceful people walking around and they would do classes and like, you know, shut the doors and I'd be left to sort of roam around by myself while they were doing their meditation and stuff. But I remember this whole story as a kid. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, mom. I've never, I've never heard of that. that that's, I'm, I'm guessing that's somewhere down there, like Fleischmann's, where you like surrounded by good mountains and stuff like that. Rolling Hills. It was more Rolling Hills. Yeah. That's, yeah. What, that's, that's what the Catskills are. They're in crazy mountains. But, uh, so. I'm guessing you were down in the central part of Fleischmann's where yeah. they have all that stuff. Well, that's my story. So 
Uh, I probably Stop. screwed up the uh, details, but it was so long ago. What? Your dad's like at Woodstock. Exactly. Your mom's messing around with the the Maharishi. Like, what what kind of childhood did you? We need to get the stomps on to understand what's going on here. Oh, Mrs. Well, Stomp. in my mom's defense, I think she was just along for the ride, just to get you know out there and see what it was like. I don't think it was, she was into yoga necessarily, but not that that's a bad yeah. thing. I mean, yoga is cool. No. And meditation's cool if if you know you're focusing on the right stuff. But uh, yeah, interesting story. Yeah, I think Maharishi was pretty. He was, yeah. I I don't think that he was problematic. I think it was the Bikram guy. I don't really that, know. Yeah, I think he's the one that got a little wild. So um, I, I see. Anyway, yeah, I see a place that's, that's uh, it says on here that it, uh, it's located near Livingston Manor, which is a big part of the uh, the Catskill like uh, Jewish Alps area. So. Interesting. Interesting. Oh, wow. Every time I learn something new about Stomp, I'm just amazed. Just another layer of the onion peeling back. <laughs> we cannot cut that out. We have to hear that story. Slasher's hiking topic of the week. Vaucluse gear. Back sweat sucks in all types of weather and hikes. Not only is it uncomfortable, sweat is a risk factor, causing your core temperature to fluctuate if it doesn't evaporate off your back. Check out Vaucluse's Cool Dry Backpack Airflow Frame, a backpack accessory that installs on your favorite pack, sizes 18 liters to 65 liters, and creates an airflow gap between you and your pack. Whether you're on a hot or cold temp. Even if you have a pack with a curved frame, the cool dry frame is a real game changer when it comes to airflow. Visit vaucluesgear.com to order a cool dry frame today. That's V-A-U-C-L-U-S-E-G-E-A-R.com. Is a New Hampshire State licensed child care provider that offers care for children from 6 weeks to 12 years with flexibility in before and after school care as well. Sweet Beginnings aims to instill a love for learning by providing a safe and positive experience within a loving and warm environment. Sweet Beginnings Daycare believes this is a good foundation to teach children in order to prepare them for their future. For more information, contact Sweet Beginnings at 603-568-4530, visit them at Sweet Beginnings Daycare on Facebook, or email Shandy at ShandyElliot at Outlook.com. S-H-A-N-D-I-E-L-L-I-O-T-T. Anyway, um, so thank you so much, Stosh. So um, we're going to move on to our next topic here. So definitely stick around. You probably have some insight here. But um, I wanted to just give an update to the audience. Um, I have a little like weird hobby where I, I basically take all of the media reported search and rescue events that happened in the White Mountains so that anybody can do this. There's no no secret to this. Basically, you go on the Fishing Game website, you go through their news reports, and I have this little form that I fill out that essentially has like, you know, the, the month, the date, the trail, the mountain, whether it's associated with a particular list. I have the, you know, the name of the person that gets involved in the search and rescue incident, the city, the state, 
their gender, their age, age range. Um, and I have like this rating where we say shame, no shame, which is like reckless or not reckless, and then categorize it. And then I've actually added stomp one of the th- a couple of new things. One I've I've added whether or not the hiker was solo or in a group because I just yeah. find that interesting. Makes sense. And then the other thing I've added is whether or not a helicopter was involved in the rescue. Okay. Just so we can get in it. I started to also put together the timeline because on almost all of these news reports, it'll say like the call came in at this time and they were able to get the person to um, safety by this time. But it just took too long and I was kind of plugging through it over the over the weekend and after work and I just was like, I just can't can't do this. So, uh, but for the most part, like I have this data and it goes back to 2019. So I've got basically all of 2019, all of 2020 and all of 2021 completed. And I've actually posted the search and rescue like report that basically tells you, you know, how many SAR events there were, how many people were involved in those SAR events. Cause sometimes you'll get a, you'll get a search and rescue event where they got to rescue eight people cause they took a wrong turn. So the numbers aren't one-to-one. And then, you know, I'll capture things like, okay, where are the hot spots? What is the month by month flow? And typically what you'll find is that like July, August, and October are like the busiest months for search and rescue in the whites. And then I capture the categories, like whether or not they were um, fatigued, whether they got lost, whether it was a lower leg injury, um, whether or not it was reckless behavior, that type of thing. And then I'll get the age ranges, I'll get the gender breakdown. Um, and then in that way, you can sort of see like, you know, what's what what patterns exist. And what you tend to find is that like, you know, younger people tend to have search and rescues that are on the reckless side, whereas older people tend to have more lower leg injuries. And then you can also sort of say like, okay, Franconia Ridge, Mount Washington, Mount Shakora, Monadnock, Welsh Dickey, those are like the hot spots. So it can sort of tell you where you where it's likely you're going to get the most search and rescue events. So I find it interesting. You know, I used to, Mike, when you, when you did the sounds like a search and rescue tagging i used to i used to look forward to this when you did this it was actually yeah. very interesting yeah so, yeah so i figured like i'm halfway through the data for 2022 right now and i figured that i would um kind of give a little bit of a highlight of what the first half of the year looked like in 2022 for media reported search and rescue events so um just as a reminder like over the last couple of years like Total people involved in search and rescue in 2019 and 2020, as far as media reported, was 110, and then it bumped up to 118 people in 2021. My understanding, based on releases that Fish and Game has given, is that they're typically closer to around 200 events per year. So there's stuff that happens that doesn't hit the newspapers for whatever reason, whether it's just a walkout by a conservation officer or whether it's like um, somebody gets into a problem and they're able to sort of talk them through getting out over the phone. So, uh, but typically it's around 200 or so events that happen um, and a a little over a hundred make the news. Um, So a couple of things. So I put together basically January through June and um, the totals that we had in the news were 
There were 31 total events involving uh, 34 total people. So a little bit of lower trend, but that's pretty typical because what we see is typically like July, August, September, and October is where you get that big spike of people. So once I get start doing those months, I expect that like the total numbers will be probably close to the, the average, but we'll see. I'll, I'll update next week when I get to it. Uh, but a couple of interesting tidbits that I had called out here, Stomp, is that in the beginning of the year, um, a lot of older hikers. So of the 31 people that um, that were involved in the uh, search and rescues, you had an 82-year-old person, and then you had... Um, 17, so almost half the people were over 50 years old, hmm. which is not typical. Usually you'll see a lot more younger people. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was interesting. So old people are getting in trouble. A lot of times it's just basically lower leg injuries that we're dealing with. Um, a lot of the incidents happened on 52 with the view peaks, which I thought was interesting because typically you see a lot more on the 4,000 footers. Mm-hmm. But um, a lot of issues, you know, we had some search and rescues on Mount Avalon, Mount Hayes, um, Shelburne, Mariah, Monadnock, Welsh Dickey, Chikora, Hedgehog, Mount Cube, the Moats, Smarts, Percival. So wow. a lot of the uh, the 52 wow. with the views. So. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, there was four helicopter extractions out of the 34. Mm-hmm. And then um, there were two hikers that actually had their hike safe cards as well, <laughs> which was good. good um, and then there was a one hypothermia death, so that was the June eighteenth um, hiker that that died on Mount Clay. Right. So they had that sort of freak weather accident or w- weather day on June eighteenth, where it got to you know snowing and, and below freezing. Right. Um, and June 18th, as a matter of fact, 2022 was a crazy day stomp. I don't know if you remember this, but there was a rescue on the Centennial Trail, which is basically the beginning of the, the Appalachian Trail as you cross Rattle River. Yeah. So Centennial Trail, there was a rescue going on there. Mm-hmm. Then they got the call for the uh, the hiker on Mount Clay, and they had to activate a big team to get him. Right. And at the same time that that was going on, there was three guys from Rhode Island that started a hike at six o'clock at night on uh, Mount Avalon. And they got off trail and were lost. So they had basically rescue teams all around that sort of northern presidential area and into Crawford Notch. Right. Yep. Which is crazy. Um, The other crazy rescue that happened in... Um, in the first half of the year was there was a head injury on Kearsarge North. I don't know if you remember this, but a guy fell off the um, the tower, the fire tower. The yeah. stairs? Yikes. Yeah, he, f- he fell off the stairs and like had a serious head injury. They had to helicopter lift him off. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I recall that one. Yeah. And then the other call out that I had was that, um, and I haven't tracked this, but I may add this as a, a sort of a, a data point is whether or not any outside agencies help with the rescue. So there was one rescue that um, was a skiing incident where a lady injured herself. She was able to get out to the Cog Railroad. The Cog Railroad was able to come up and actually get her, take her back down. 
Um, and then there was two AMC Hut rescue assists. There was one from Galehead and then one from Greenleaf where hikers were injured. One one lady got injured with a lower leg injury that was so severe that she was at Galehead Hut for like a day and a half, I think, before they got her out of there. Hmm. So beginning of the year, like I said, from my perspective, like not too busy. There was no incidents in January and nothing in March. And you had three incidents in February. You had like five in April and then May exploded. And, uh, you know, you had 15 events in May and then 11 in June. Right. Busy year. So I think May tends to be a busy month typically. And I think a lot of times people are anxious to get out. Like in 2019, there was 19 events in May. And then in 20. 21 there was like 14 mm. you know 2020 doesn't really count because i think we were in lockdown for uh for covid yeah yeah everybody saw a banner year for activity yep yeah so um so anyway that's what the first half is looking like i'll put a link to the data so people can take a look at it um but you know like i said older hikers getting in trouble a few helicopter extractions, a couple of hike safe cards, a hypothermia situation, and then one day that was just crazy with like um, five people in three different locations. There was another, actually, there was another day like that on Old Bridal where there was a rescue going on somewhere and then they had to go find two people on Old Bridal as well. Mm, yeah. Yep. And then there was the... Um the triple header on the day of our 100K celebration. I think that might have been old, old bridal, actually. <laughs> Maybe that's what I'm yeah, talking about. Yeah. yeah, it could be. So when it rains, anyway, it pours. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I think there was a there was a Mount Cube rescue, and then there was two on Old Bridal that were separate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So amazing. Um, lot going on though. The first half of the year, like I said, May tends to be a busy month. So if you're getting out there hiking in May. I think there was a total of, um, you know, almost half of the May incidents were lower leg injuries. So that's the thing is I think people get comfortable and they're, that's one of the things, Stash, that I think we do have a problem with is like these long trails where people are going out in their, um, you know, it's, it's flat hiking. They sort of get complacent and they forget to worry about their footing and then, you know, they twist an ankle and then it's game over. Yeah, definitely up on those ridges are... are- you just want to get to the summit and you just find that path you're walking and you just keep eyeing on the prize and you forget that there's something below you. Boom. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So... some selected sections no that's fine i mean there were just a couple snowmobile accidents and there was believe it or not another uh, uh series of accidents on mount baldy there's apparently a an actor that was uh injured or uh i don't believe lost but one or the other but uh yeah we'll move on it for uh the next show 
Yeah, yeah. Well, um, one thing I did actually probably, we should probably just slip these in there, is that there is an article from the Boston Globe magazine. Um, again, it's another one. It's, uh, the title is Why Do Hikers Keep Dying in the White Mountains of New Hampshire? It goes over the three most recent incidents that we've had where, um, you know, the two hikers dying up in Franconia Ridge and then the gentleman that fell on Mount Willard and, you know, tries to sort of make sense about what, what might have happened there. And I think we've talked about a lot of these themes around people that um, sort of just get in over their heads. They may not be properly equipped and, you know, they were able to get, you know, I think the uh, the interview with the Fish and Game uh, Conservation Officer covered a lot of the same topics um, as this article, but I'll link it in the show notes. Um, I don't know, Stomp, did you have anything to add about that article? Um, no, not really. I thought it was really well written. And um, whoever wrote it uh, really did a good, thorough, in-depth job, which is really great. So highly recommend reading it. Yeah, yeah. And I think the one th- other thing I'll say, and then we can close, is that I think with the media, a lot of times, as I was looking up that article about the, the recent hiker deaths, there was another article that showed up in the search results from the Concord Monitor that was a, the headline was hikers dying due to medical emergencies. That particular article was talking about how we had had a small cluster of people that had died on trail due to, and they were younger people. So it was a little bit of a like, okay, what's going on here? Um, but, you know, basically having heart attacks on trail. So we had, I think, two or three deaths over the summer that were due to uh, to heart attacks or medical issues. And um, I think a lot of times the media chases these very short-term trends, which is another reason why I find pulling together a historical data over the course of a longer period a lot more valuable because the short-term trends do tend to sort of cluster together. But when you step back and look at things over an extended period of time, you can sort of see like, all right, well, it's unfortunate, but yeah, there typically is, you know, eight or 10 people that pass away. Some of them will pass away due to hypothermia. Some of them will pass away due to medical issues. And when you look at it over the course of a few years, it tends to normalize and it becomes like, I don't get as extreme over like short-term trends as I think the media tends to. Yeah. Let's uh, see what the rest of the year looks like for that. Maybe we can revisit that topic. Yeah, I think over the weekend I will probably I'll be prepping for a, a, a medical procedure over the weekend, so I'll have some time to just poke away at the computer so I can get the rest of the. Um, okay. I can get the rest of the uh, the data together. Sounds like a good idea. Yep. All right, so Stosh, thank you very much for joining us. Hopefully, it was as fun as you had hoped it was going to be. I, <laughs> uh, you know, with the the day that I had, I, I was looking forward to it totally, and it and it came out the way I just thought it would be. So thank you guys for having me and thank you guys for starting your podcast and inspiring me to do my own. Awesome. That's fantastic. Thanks for listening and uh, thanks for joining and uh, awesome. Till next time. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. 
You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Neeland from New Hampshire Fishing Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared. I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us. <laughs>